and gentlemen of the jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No, because I'm going to get him. Sorry for the delay. I was here searching um, World War Three on Google. I'm Googling it. I, uh, really. Google is not a verb, just so people know. My wife and my daughter uh, are in the studio. Being and, heckled and lady, the from studio behind the dog. Camera. That's right. We have to put up a front, right? We, You and I have to stick together and put up a front against the women. Google is not a verb. You know, I, I mean, they, look, back in the 70s, if somebody said, I Googled her, okay, you know, you kind of knew what that meant. And it's got a different meaning than today. Come on, help, help me out. We, 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 I wasn't it's, alive it's, it's, in there's the a 70s. Coup. There's a coup. I wasn't alive in the 70s. The dictionary has been updated. All right. You know, you, get, you, right, you, give Jackie, you give Jackie just a tad of... Exposure and it's like it's all over. Uh, lady, the studio dog, she's all upset. Uh, she can't contain herself. Uh, my wife uh, brought uh, my wife and Jackie stopped in to bring us dinner. It's a working uh, dinner. So, uh, Merriam-Webster dictionary. Yeah. Yeah. The definition of Google is doesn't make sense. It says to use the Google search engine to attain the information. On the worldwide, so that's a verb. So it's it's yes, trans it's transitive verb. verb, transitive verb, no such thing, <laughs> no such thing, transitive verb. Need to hear you're out of touch. Di- remember, remember, folks, when you diagram sentences, remember that. How many people di- do? Do they do that anymore in schools? Diagram sentences. Okay, some people are out there. Some. Uh, Diagram sentences, huh? What's that? Well, at least you can do his mic up. I don't see people are looking at me like, what do you look, what, what do you have a stroke? I yahooed it. Is that what you said? No. No. Yeah. Google is not a, uh, you know, exactly. Welcome, folks, to, to the Hagman the Hagman Report. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for your belief and your trust in us. You know, we have a little bit of fun. If you don't have a little bit of fun, you just go nuts. Uh, but seriously, Joe, the World War Three is the, uh, oh, there they go laughing again. World War Three is the what? Am I allowed to continue? Can we get security in here? All right. Here comes, the, here comes security. All right. Thank you. Now, um, World War Three. In all honesty, people are searching that phrase "World War Three more today than ever before, according yeah. to the web stats. Well, there's a lot going on. Uh, there's a lot going on with North Korea. Uh, a lot of news out of North Korea. Um, just a few of the the headlines. There's Chinese troops and uh, medical movements near the North Korean border. 
Uh, yep, yep. A few hundred thousand Chinese troops are on the move around there. Also, there's fresh activity at a North Korean nuclear facility. Apparently, uh, on the 15th Saturday, North Korea time in the morning, they're going to be launching another nuclear weapons test in a tunnel that they've tested or attempted to test for other... Something tells me this is not going to end well. And you got the daily mail. You got the mail going out, though. though uh, Joe, they're, they're telegraphing our SEAL team. Mm-hmm. Ex- explain the, explain to me in what on what planet this is good for America when you've got the foreign press tele- uh, stating, "Hey, our SEAL team is out uh, practicing in uh, South Korea, uh, we're getting ready to take out." Uh, well, the Chia military Pet. drills weren't weren't nothing secret, and I believe um, uh, is that I what don't they believe want for a second that do they want that known? I I don't think it matters. I think that it's being done on purpose. Uh, to distract maybe people inside North Korea. There's also a... Oh, Kim Jong-un is uh, showing videos videos on Atari, the old Atari screens of of, uh, uh, aircraft carriers blowing up and saying, yeah, that's what we did. Yep. Uh, It's just people. um, Bless you. Preparing for war, North Korea, Kim Jong uh, orders residents to evacuate Pyongyang immediately that's another headline from today but i uh i mean north korea has been uh, you know we've talked about the rhetoric and the potential for conflict between the us and north korea for a long time now china yesterday even issued a message to north korea saying you know knock it off or we will bomb your nuclear facilities I well, think they're, I think we are being primed for well, an actual second, conflict in Korea. And I don't think you, it's going to be that big of a problem. I but, think, but yesterday uh, you said something different. And I agree with what you said yesterday. I don't, I don't, I don't know if I agree totally with, with what you're saying today. I think China, I think China is going to take care of North Korea. I think we, I think that to me is nothing more than a, a smoke, screen for smoke screen for Syria. I think all eyes need to be on Syria in the Middle East because that's where the resources are. And by the way, folks, uh, after our show tonight, in the morning, the first thing in the morning, watch our YouTube channel. Did a absolutely critical interview with former CIA officer and counterterrorism intelligence expert Kevin Ship. It's going up tomorrow. Late tonight, early tomorrow. It's fifty five zero, fifty minutes long, not a wasted word, not a wasted breath in that interview. Um and if you haven't done so already, I ask, I ask, I plead, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Joe, they're, 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 and you know, you, you saw the back end. And we have, we've talked to numerous alternative media hosts. The numbers that you see. For example, when you tune in live, the number that you see on the bottom of the, the, whatever your, the screen. No, it doesn't match the back end. The numbers of subscribers are being held down. The people are being unsubscribed from our channel. With uh, I, I, we get emails every single day. How did this happen? I got unsubscribed. Uh, I checked, and you know I'm not subscribed to your channel. And I know that there's operator error built in there. However, not not at the numbers we're getting. So, also the demonetization to censor the alternative media. This is no small thing. And the, this is the way the deep state, which Kevin Shipp very well identifies, um, it was just a tremendous interview today. 
and that's going up tomorrow, but the deep state, the operatives, and also the progressives, really, uh, the car communists, shall we say, are, are attempting to stifle the truth by, by censoring the content. And one of the ways, of course, is to, to fiddle with the numbers. Another way is to demonetize things, make it, uh, not advertiser friendly, which they're, they're doing with our shows. Now, don't, boy, see, it will appear. And, and this is where you have to go a couple of level, levels deeper in the, in your investigation. It will appear that things are normal, but it's not normal. It's not. When you, when, when a channel or when channels in the alt alternative media, the independent media, Dave Hodges experiencing an 80% revenue decline in 30 days. Think about that. Now imagine going to work in the morning. Or imagine going to work and, uh, well just imagine not, uh, imagine being, uh, losing 80% of your, your income. But, and being asked to work overtime or working voluntarily working overtime. This is what's happening in the alternative media today. It's being censored. We are being censored. And of course, the search results are being pushed so far down with algorithms, algorithms, the analytics. For example, um, I was looking, uh, we had a, we had a meeting today and, uh, the, the backdoor figures. Joe, help me out here with this because, uh, without giving, without being specific because the specifics, I feel, I feel almost like we're giving, okay. a, would we be giving away, uh, not trade secrets, but, but open doors for hackers. I don't want to do that. That's kind of what I'm protecting, but well, we're, we're down, our, we're down 60%. Our YouTube channel, um, you know, month by month continues to grow. We have done things like, um, you know, each show we have a numer- anywhere from, you know, two to, to four or five guests on a show. Um, and, and thank what you, John Robinson, doing for doing that. Is not only posting the whole three hour show, but going back and segmenting, uh, separating each individual guest and posting it as a standalone video on itself. So each month that goes by, we're, we're continuing to increase our subscribers. We're continuing to increase our views. Right. We're continuing to increase the amount of content on the YouTube channel. The viewing time as well. All, right. all the metrics are, are on the rise. And with, with each additional video, you can have uh, room for additional ads and monetization. Well, and just an example, uh, yesterday, uh, and these figures aren't accurate. We'll just say, uh, yeah, we had $400 in revenue on YouTube. And which is nowhere near that, so. Right. But, and then, uh, that was two days ago, $400. Then, you know, yesterday or one day later, you come in and it says you have $250 in revenue. Even though nothing was demonetized, nothing was taken down, nothing right. was paid out, they're just literally removing already earned funds from our channel. And th- that's, that's correct. And this is something that I spoke with Dave Hodges on earlier in the week. We had a, a very intense discussion about and this is not, again, this is an example for, this is, we're just giving you an example. Uh, the numbers are purely submitted for, as examples. 400 one day, 250 the next, everything else remains the same. What's changed? Right, and you only get to that you know. 400 level by um, people that you've already monetized videos and people have already right. viewed the content. So it's not like they're 
it's not projected earnings or revenue. It's revenue that was it's already there. Correct. And, and don't tell, and folks, look, we understand the sliding scale. We understand the back end of YouTube. We understand the view for the last 28 days that changes up and down. We understand all of that. We're talking, we're talking about already, as you put, as you put it, already earned revenue mm-hmm. and, and they're reaching in and grabbing that. And, and the no reason, excuses give right. no reasons. Except for, and again, speaking with Dave Hodges, speaking with other others in the alternative media, this is across the board that they're doing this, but they're not doing it equally, which that tells me there there is a um, a, a, a human involvement here. If it was a if it wasn't a, a line of code, for example, you'd be able to identify that. I would think, unless I'm totally wrong, but um, there's no uniformity to it. It's well, there's a level of uniformity, but then there is a few extra punches, shall we say. So that kind of concerns me. The reason we bring this up, we report on Syria. Boy, you you want to? You can't even have Syria in the title. So perhaps the next video, when we talk about Syria or when we talk about Pizzagate, look for titles such as conjugating Latin verbs. Okay. Perhaps maybe that'll help. Um. Do not, you'll have to, and we're going to do this, we're going to try this out, um, the, the independent broadcasters that we spoke with, uh, we're going to try this out, we're going, to, we're going to work on the titles, so you're going to have to look at the title and you think, okay, hmm, what does that really mean? It may not reflect what you think it means. For example, one of our one of our videos, and I made, watch it I made an ice cream Sunday today. <laughs> or I had a deep dish cheese pizza. Yeah. Gee, would you, or I had a deep, or, uh, deep dish recipe. Okay. Think about that as opposed to Pizzagate. Um, so we can, we can play the same game to some degree, but nonetheless, there's human intervention. But see, the reason this is important is because you've got the, the male in the UK reporting on, on SEAL team movements. Don't forget you had Geraldo Rivera drawn. Remember when he was on the beach, he drew that line and, X's and O's with the troops during the Gulf War. You remember that? And, and they wanted yeah. to arrest him for uh, giving out secrets. See, that's why I think that Trump talked during the campaign. Uh, we saw it with Syria also that uh, broadcasting our plans to the media yeah. was not going to be something that his administration has done. We saw with Syria the, the quick response time to the alleged chemical attack right. uh, bombing the airfield within 48 hours. So I think, I mean, just looking at the headlines on Drudge, SEALs trained to take out Kim. Well, the SEALs trained to assassinate people and, and kill people and complete missions all the time. I think that's a headline that can just be shaped to make it as they want, you know. And Kevin's ship, by the way, Joe, um, and we had a long studio day. I want to just give my personal thanks to Eric, the tech. God bless him, hardest working man I know, along with John Robertson, hardest working man I know, and Joe. He had a long day today as well. Anytime you meet a numbers guy in the first thing in the morning, it just, you know, that's not the way to start your day. And then, uh, I'm not talking about gambling, I'm talking about accounting. Uh, and then, um, th- thank everybody. I just, I just want to, so many people, so many great people that, that we have within the Hagman family organization. Uh, John Robertson, God bless you, my friend, for all of the hard work that you do. And I want to give a special shout out to, uh, Bill McIntosh for, from Acasa Media. And, um, He's a great guy, and let me tell you, he's a hard worker. If you want to, if you want a speaker for your next event, whether it be a church or whatever it might be, 
contact Acosta Media, Bill McIntosh. He'll hook you up. He's a guy. You know, if you need something done, I know a guy. He's a guy, Bill McIntosh, Acosta Media. And it's uh, on your screen for those people watching via YouTube. Yeah. So anyway, more on that later. Yeah, let's, but, let's um, get into a, let's get into the headlines. I, I know that Joe and and just permit me, and I'm gonna I'm gonna shut up after this because people say well, you talk too much. Well, okay. Um, yeah. So what? Get your own show. Uh, I'm Doug Hagman. <laughs> you never mind. Um, the the interview that we did with uh, that I did with uh, Kevin Ship today. In talking about the deep state, we'll, t- we'll address the headlines and what, who got to Trump was some, did somebody get to Trump? It explains that what's behind the about face of Donald Trump, Kevin Shipp from a CIA intelligence point of view. But take it away, sir. Yeah. So we have, uh, you know, all the warmongering in, uh, with North Korea, uh, on drugs. There's a number of headlines. China says the U.S. is not bluffing. Uh, Trump will make good on his promises and his threats. Um, there has been a, a nuke-sniffing plane that has been deployed. Uh, also, foreign journalists in North Korea told to prepare for a big event, which I believe is a, another nuclear test. And then there's rumors about a possible hidden submarine, nuclear submarine, um, in dealing with North Korea. You know, will we see some type of military action uh, from either North Korea or the United States? I do believe so. When and how it will happen, I don't know. Uh, we'll get into more with with uh, Chad from Insurgency uh, News. Yep. But there's a few headlines I want to make sure we, we hit. And folks, okay. go to HagmanReport.com. Um, there's a, every day we put up a number of, of important and uh, relevant news and political information. So make sure that you visit that daily. This one um, was an article I saw. We know there was a terror attack in Sweden just this week where, um, and it could have been much more deadly. There was only four people killed and I believe about 80 injured. And um, another uh, driver actually pulled out in front of the truck and blocked this truck from being able to mow down even more people. But you know what? Today, Zero Hedge did a did a great article. Sweden's largest newspaper demands ban men in cars to stop terror attacks. And well, uh, Tyler, say that they, again. Ban men in cars to stop terror. This is from Sweden's largest newspaper, and they go on to say, just a matter of time before we. Sorry about that. No, before we were forced to write this ridiculous post, but you knew it was coming, and now the day has finally arrived after some extreme leftist has called for the banning of automobiles as a means of preventing terror attacks. And this article, and this is Sweden's largest newspaper, and this is why you may think such logic would be reserved for the kookiest of liberal activists living in an isolated commune some hundred miles away from a commercial uh, interest, and then they go on to, to talk about the Swedish newspaper, and they say instead of cars, which she calls effective murder machines, uh, they must simply be removed from the city centers and places where people gather if people are be, to be protected in the future. How insane is this? this How insane is this? It's you the ban Muslims. <laughs> you, uh, no, seriously. No, 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 no. You, you're allowed to have Muslims. You can even what, like do, do what Sweden does. Welcome in returning ISIS fighters by giving them free housing and welfare. I mean, they do that in Sweden. People who have been fighting with and for ISIS on the battlefield are being brought back to Sweden and giving free housing. Oh, that's just fake news. Check it out. It's pretty alarming. Um, 
So yeah, now you know these Dickens, people. You say don't blame the the cult uh, of murder. Don't blame the terrorist. Don't blame the mindset. No, blame. So what kind of? Okay, so be on the lookout for a 2013 Toyota Corolla or whatever. They even have those or Sequoia or I don't know. Be on the lookout for a gray Ford Escalade. Escalator. No, Taurus. Yeah. I mean, it's just crazy. And, and getting past like 71, I don't know what cars. So. And while we're uh, talking about crazy news, before the, the we went live, I, I told you and Eric about this awesome article, Public Universities Diversity Training, Expecting People to Show Up on Time is Racist. Now, there's a study done at the University of Clemson, which was allocated $27,000 for diversity training, all right? I, I want this gig. taxpayer-funded How school do we do this? in South Carolina purchased the online training materials from an outside vendor. It's a series of slides depicting scenarios with fictional characters uh, for this diversity training. Now, they say one slide features a guy named Alejandro who plans a meeting between two groups. Alejandro. Each, each group has a foreign students and professors. One group shows up 15 minutes early. The second group shows up 10 minutes late. A question and answer section then instructs Clemson's professors mm-hmm. that Alejandro would be insufficiently inclusive if he were to ask the second group to apologize for being late. So Alejandro is a, a racist, xenophobe, bigot, homophobe, Islamophobe, timophobe. He's got, he's got yes. like a, he, he should be penalized, right? Yes. We gotta uh, find something on this guy. The inclusive thing for Alejandro to do, the taxpayer funded diversity materials instruct Clemson professors is to recognize cultural differences that may impact the meeting and adjust accordingly. Alejandro must understand that his cultural perspective regarding time uh, is neither more or less valid than any other. Huh. So, the you know what that being, is? Aside from total bunk. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is a, a uh, this is political correctness at its the, finest. And this I, I is sanity. The, com- the commenters say, and, and again, this was $30,000 in taxpayer money was used for this diversity training. They're saying that it is racist to ask somebody to show up on time. And in the comment section, uh, it didn't take long for people to make some really good points um, and related to situations that are, are more important in our society, like the, the uh, Muslim immigration and Sharia law. How long until they say, well, uh, this guy's a Muslim and he wants to, to have sex with an eight-year-old? And that's part of his culture. So it's and, racist and, not to respect. In, in all seriousness, and we can talk about talk about this with Chad. But in all seriousness, that's what they want us to to do. This is all part of the the softening of our, up of our culture. We have it's to look crazy. at the big picture. And Joe, you're right, and, and you're right for bringing this out because that's again that's a softening up of 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 our our culture. This is they in this article. This this Clemson. University is attempting to say we have to respect the culture, essentially of tardiness, or that embraces tardiness as part of their 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 culture. In, in fact, if you go to the Bahamas, uh, you know, relax because you're in the Bahamas and everything's kind of on slow. Everything's slow, so you're ten fifteen minutes late. It's not really a problem. You're in Manhattan and you're ten or fifteen minutes late. You're going to get your butt whooped, okay, uh, in business. Yeah, and I got to tell you this too. Uh, aside from being disrespectful, being late. And I, this is my generation. If my if my folks told me when I was 15, 16 years old to be home at midnight, and if I wasn't home at midnight, you know where I slept? <laughs> outside? Uh, outside, yeah. 
Well, you know, yeah. this is part of, of a bigger trend, and, and another commenter, another commenter po- points this out and says, you know, expecting someone to speak English, racist, and then they refer to an article. Teachers should allow abonics because English grammar is too hard for minorities to learn. Okay. Expecting results. Racist. Students, students of Color Conference turns into Oppression Olympics, leads the fight. Uh, I asked so, you to do this. At what Sorry. point does this become an, I mean, isn't it Insane? racist to say we need to use ebonics because the English language is too hard, meaning you're not smart enough to It's be an able insult to, to the black people Absolutely. to me. It's if I was a black guy and somebody told me that, that would be insulting to me. What, because of what I don't have the mental capacity to understand and, and use correct English. We've gotten to a look point I where, normally I don't, so I mean hey. We've gotten to a point where, you know, uh minority groups of one percent or less are being able to dictate the terms yeah. for everybody else. It doesn't, the 99% majority's feelings don't matter. Only the, the minority 1%. And it's, it's becoming more, um, yeah. it's expanding to a level that's just out of control. Uh, you know, talking about time and age and gender all can be changed based on how you feel that day. I was telling Eric before the show, you know, imagine if we were in, in school today, what we could get away with, with these kind of excuses. Uh, no, because and, and that's. I mean, but, but the far, other where does this end? But the other the other part of that equation is is the public school system is an indoctrination program. It's not an education system anymore. Thank you, progressives. Thank you, the people like Bloomberg's and the De Blasios and the and the idiots on the uh, uh, the Department of Education. They've ruined education, and that goes yep. back to Dewey. And you just understand where this all comes from. It's one, a communist platform. One of my favorite comments here is. Uh, I guess racist is now the most versatile word in the English language. Oh yeah, it's used without regard to any. any I mean, you, you do something wrong, you're you're a racist. And, and frankly, I'm getting tired of it. So you're a racist I'm for telling somebody to be on time. Yeah. And uh, we need to ban cars uh, in order to stop terrorism. That uh, you know, terrorists who use cars as weapons. America does not have a problem with intolerance. It has a problem with tolerance. Mm-hmm. We tolerate the BS, the crap, the insanity that the progressive communist, liberal, democrat mindset, the Hillary worshippers, the never-Trumpers, regardless, I don't care about Donald Trump, the never-Trumpers, that mindset, they're all sorry, but you're intellectually hobbled, and those people who believe in themselves as doing the work of Christians were, um, in fact, they're just, uh, they're they're not, they're, uh, I'm not going to get into that now, go on. When we come back, we'll be joined with Chad B. from Insurgency Broadcasting. Insurgency Broadcasting you can find on YouTube, and he's a returning guest, and we're going to get into some current events, uh, geopolitical news, and more. So don't go anywhere. You're listening to this edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report. Stay tuned. Visit HagmanReport.com for the news and articles that matter most. Stay tuned. We will be right back. In 
a thrilling series of novels, T.C. Joseph takes us into the lives of three families who struggle to maintain normal lives in a world where conspiracy theory and Bible prophecy collide. T.C. Joseph's viewpoint of alternative history and understanding of prophetic events will change your view of the world and the events on our horizon. Kirkus Review states, Readers of end times fiction will be hard-pressed to find it done more intriguingly than this. Extremely readable and fast-paced. Blue Wink Reviews boldly states, Fans of Tim LaHaye's Left Behind series and Tom Parada's The Leftovers will find this thought-provoking series absolutely riveting. Order your copies of T.C. Joseph's This Generation series from Amazon.com. Book 1, Precipice. Book 2, Pentecost. And Book 3, Penance. Uncertain times, it makes sense to have a sustainable backup method to cook food and boil water. If your current plan includes using a fuel burning stove or cooking over an open fire, then there's a much better way. The Miniman Rocket Stove is a biomass burning cooking stove that only requires small quantities of sticks and twigs for fuel. The Miniman Stove is easy to use, smokeless, portable, powerful, and sustainable. For the finest in survival cooking stoves and fire starters made right here in the USA, go to MinutemanStove.com. That's MinutemanStove.com. You may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles, Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes where the homicide becomes a secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind-controlled experimentation. A world dismissed as conspiracy by those who want to keep its secrets hidden. Exposing the dangers, denials, and deceptions. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in this community and beyond. Stained by Blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. Edition of the Hagman and the Hagman Report. You're gonna love. You're gonna love hearing from Chad Booksam from Insurgency Broadcast. He is a, just a great guy. He's up on all of the topics that we are so focused on with respect to Syria, the geopolitics of well, the run up to World War Three, or actually we're in World War Three, I suppose, if you want to look at it uh, that way, and the uh, machinations of the globalists as they are the machinations of the globalists, basically. And as the, as the, reflected in the, uh, Trump presidency, that's what's on tap for you with Chad B from Insurgency Broadcast. Uh, Chad Booksam. I call him Chad B. I don't know from the original, uh, interview we did, but Chad Booksam from Insurgency Broadcast. Really go to that, uh, Insurgency Broadcast and, and make sure you follow their content. Insurgency Broadcast Media, Insurgency Broadcast Network. It's a great, it's a great resource. I mean, and, and Chad is up on everything 
and I like his style. I like his investigative style. I like his approach. I like his delivery. So you're going to love that. Before we get to him, a couple of announcements real quick. Um, I believe I'm going to be on InfoWars tomorrow with Alex Jones at 1 o'clock Eastern. I think. So you can tune in there. Um, the other thing, those people who are awaiting Steve's books from the drive from a week, uh, a week and I think 10 days ago. Um, again, please be patient. I'm giving all of that information to Steve in, 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 in proper form. So there was a lot of, uh, communication. Many people sent communication, which just, I didn't really, I mean, we had to go through a lot of communication. Um, yeah, that's all I'm going to say. So thank you for your, thank you for everything and, uh, please just be patient. We have with us Chad from Insurgency Broadcasting Network. Folks go to Insurgency Broadcasting Network on YouTube. Chad, there's a whole lot going on. Um, a few things we're going to get into. Let's start with what's going on in North Korea, uh, Syria, the geopolitical situation and the, the war drums that we keep hearing about. Um, What's the the latest that you've heard of, uh, on the situation with North Korea? You know, it, it looks like a dangerous situation. Uh, I also want to add, um, insurgency broadcast is merging with alternative media television. Uh, uh, so my platform going forward uh, is going to be on AMTV, originally hosted by Christopher Green. We're actually kind of bringing the boats together on that. So uh, insurgency broadcast is let all your fans and your audience know. Well, uh, going forward, it's going to be on. Alternative Media Television, AMTV, at um, amtvmedia.com is the website, and you can also check us out on YouTube. Now, with the armada that Donald Trump just <laughs> announced that he's obviously uh, sending over to North Korea, look, uh, North Korea is not going to last Trump's for uh, four years, obviously. Uh, they are like a spoiled kid with nuclear weapons. Uh, unfortunately, I think when he had uh, the leader of China uh, right at Mar-a-Lago at his White House, when he launched those strikes on Syria, absolutely to send the message that Trump does not have a problem with using military strength uh, to solve, um, you know, some of his foreign policy challenges. Now, with Kim Jong-un, um, he is obviously seeing something coming. He saw the strikes. He's... Worried. He, he kills his own family in his own country. He's launching missiles and it's getting to the point where I think, you know, we could be on, um, on the verge of World War III basically. Do you, and it's, mean, yeah. We've seen a lot of rhetoric, uh, between North Korea and the U.S. in the past. We've seen threats from North Korea threatening to, to bomb a U.S. city, to nuke a U.S. city. Uh, you know, to obliterate us and, and all, you know, everything in between. What do you think it was the, the change, uh, from Obama to Trump? Was it the Syrian response? What do you think has changed, uh, that has increased this just from, from rhetoric, uh, to possible, uh, conflict? Well, the issue is with Barack Obama, he didn't care about America. He didn't care about this country. He didn't care what happened in the world. Uh, America's leadership in the world, uh, to him shouldn't exist. And so he was very soft on every challenge that came across him. He talked, he talked a lot. With Trump, you have a different situation. And now since his National Security Council has been shooken, you have new people in there letting him know of the, 
the consequences if North Korea keeps going on this path. And Trump loves this country. He's going to defend it and do what he has to do to defend it. But he has to take his information and his intelligence from the deep state. And that's the big challenge. How can he basically balance out what the deep state's telling him with, oh, are they possibly manipulating me, trying to pull me in uh, to a war? And that's my only concern with H.R. McMaster. Um, I think Donald Trump can absolutely, with his negotiating skills, uh, have China probably be more strong on North Korea. But is it too late? Is it too late? Possibly. And I don't think China's going to do anything to bring uh, rain, rain in North Korea because they don't want a bunch of North Korean refugees, over a million crossing their border. And, and, and China is also protecting the South China Sea. So they want North Korea to stay there. They do not want the West right at their doorstep. And I think what's really changed is the fact that um, North, uh, Donald Trump's rhetoric towards China and his tough stance on North Korea is going to make uh, Kim Jong-un uh, lash out more, which could cause a military reaction from Trump. Yeah, and I believe it will. Uh, absolutely, if if Kim uh, continues and actually uh, follows through with some of his threats to start to take action, he will be. If he if he falls for the provocation and, and starts to act, we will respond. I have no doubt about that. Okay, I got Before, a question though. I got Syria Go gas attack, but yeah. But, well, my question about about uh, North Korea. We saw in the Mail, Daily Mail today, or UK. I think it was the Daily Mail where they, uh, they published the the um, uh, United States SEAL team practicing in South Korea for takeout of, of of the North Korean leader. Is that just a bunch of bunk? Is that just the shiny trinket to distract us, or is that just a planted story? What do you make of that? That doesn't feel real. How does that get leaked out? Mm-hmm. You know, how does that get something like that get leaked out? Obviously. We didn't, it didn't get leaked out that the Navy SEALs killed Osama bin Laden until after it happened. This get leaked out. But at the same time, it could be true. There's so many leaks in the Trump administration. I mean, it's like a waterfall. So, I mean, maybe, possibly. There's okay. still a lot of Obama holdovers in the military and in the uh, intelligence community who might be leaking out plans. I hope not because our soldiers... Lives are on the line. See, so hopefully not. And Chad, let me let me ask you, and then I'll turn it back. Why in the world didn't Donald Trump go in there and and just clean house when he had the he as he saw as the chance? But why have Obama holdovers? I, I understand the continuity factor, um, the, the transition factor, but we're day what seventy five now, uh, or seventy four, whatever it might be. Come on, man. Get get rid of these idiots that, that are from Obama that have this uh, anti-American sentiment. Why is no, that? I wish I had a good answer. I wish I had a good answer to you on that. I wish he would purge him. The only thing that I've heard is he doesn't want to uh, hire more federal employees, but they're already there. They're, they're, okay, yeah. he wants to shrink the federal government. Okay, we'll replace the Obama holdovers. This is a question that has bewildered me. I have no idea why he has to purge them all. He should have done that day one and two, first week. They should have been all gone. Exactly. Um, maybe he has the establishment in his ear, uh, and it's slowing his uh, draining the swamp down, obviously. Jeez. Okay. Joe, go ahead. Um, from North Korea to Syria, uh, we had the, the chemical weapons attack uh, or alleged attack. Um, what's your take on this? Because we've seen both sides. We've seen the administration along with the mainstream media basically confirm without any evidence that Assad was behind it. Personally, I don't believe Assad was behind it at all. Um, the investigative attitude benefits. Yeah. You know. Well, what's your take on what happened in Syria? 
There has been no investigation. They launched bombs before any facts were launched. They are, and it's bipartisan. When you have bipartisan support for something, that's when you should worry. Mm-hmm. You know, you have the Democrat and Republican Party on the same page on this. Now, okay, so let's think about this. The the Syrian government is on the verge of purging ISIS and a lot of radical Islamic groups from Syria. He's on the verge of winning the civil war. He's going to shoot himself in the foot by launching chemical weapons? To me, that doesn't sound right. And in 2013, it was found out after a couple of weeks that, you know what, most likely it was the rebels who committed the act. Yep. Um, look, we have a lot of radical extremist groups who want this to happen to Assad. They are going to plant uh, chemical weapons maybe in neighborhoods. Putin was out announcing that there's probably going to be more false flags happening. But look, I don't, I don't believe what the Russian government is saying either. It's, it's, it's not that simple. But what I do believe is that we're doing the same thing that we did with Iraq, right? Right. We don't have the facts. We're starting launching bombs. It's all muddy. Everybody's on board. The media's on board. All of a sudden, Trump's getting good media mm-hmm. coverage. That's when you have to ask questions because that looks like a deep state propagandist war to me. And I, if I don't see evidence for the fact, evidence that the Syrian government did it, I'm not going to believe it. Why is he going to sabotage his uh, verge of winning? He's so close, and he just does this. Doesn't make sense. Do you, well, do you think it's a political move that Trump did this? Maybe to set a precedent, uh, you know, to let other nations know um, that certain things won't be tolerated, that he is not going to be afraid to take military action to not only silence or, or show uh, foreign leaders, but also uh, domestically here with the, the neocons and with the media. Um, do you think he was making a political statement, or do you think he w- it was uh, an action he took to for for a foreign message more so than a domestic one? Well, strategy-wise, if it was, if he was doing it for political reasons, I mean, bombing Syria while you're sitting, you know, in your campaign promising that you want to work with Russia, you want to work with other countries to destroy ISIS. I mean, that's sending the wrong, what kind of political message is he sending? Um, it's not to us. It's not the people who voted it, voted him in. Um, as far as Bashar al-Assad goes, yeah, look, he's, he's a dictator. His family's been running that country forever. A lot of people in, in Lebanon, they don't like him at all because when Lebanon was trying to be a democracy, he was occupying the country, killing their leaders. Bashar al-Assad isn't a good guy. Absolutely. But, you know, that's the thing. If you're just going to send some bombs to send a political message, I don't know what kind of strategy that is. And if the only way to secure Syria is to go in there and occupy it for the long haul to ensure that these radical elements don't take it over. But this country is so politically divided. Do we even have the political will? to do something of that manner. And I think just launching tomahawks for political reasons is, you know, bad policy. I agree. Now, now let's talk about that strike. Uh, 59 reported tomahawk missiles fired. Apparently only, what, 23 that we can, or that, that has uh, it's been reported that we're missing about 36. 36 did not make their targets. Do you believe that, or what information, what intelligence, what data do you have that, that you can... Uh, with reasonable certainty assert that, that uh, you know, with respect well, to the attack? No, absolutely. I mean, literally, if you're on the ground, you, you can't really uh, know exactly what happened. What I've been hearing from sources is that, you know, it did hit, um, you know, it did minor damage. Right. Destroyed a couple planes, uh, not much to the runway at all. I think it's it, it's actually back up and running. <laughs> right. <laughs> the jets are back up and running. So, I mean, 
in all of what we see, it probably was just a political maneuver, you know, because it didn't do the damage. And if Trump is listening to his military, his military shouldn't be involved in politics. Interesting statement. I like that. I, <laughs> folks, you hear that? Think about that. That's really good. Okay, you know, Kushner or Jared Kushner, Kushner, whatever Kushner, Bannon, yeah. that whole mess. What's your what's your um, what's your take on that? Uh, what's it's, going on? It's sad because right a few hours before that serious strikes go, we hear this big division in Trump's inner circle. Obviously, Bannon is against going in Syria, right? I mean, obviously, he's against it. Uh, because right when they have this big fight, all of a sudden the missiles start launching, and now there's a potential shakeup. Look, Jared Kushner, he's not a nationalist. Honestly, what is he's probably a liberal from New York, and he's probably yeah, he on board with a lot of the establishment policies out there. And guess what? He's Donald Trump's daughter's husband. And obviously, I don't think Donald Trump's going to do anything to make Ivanka mad. <laughs> I think it's that that simple. But this is the problem when you start mixing family with, you know, business or family with with policy. Okay, Jared Kushner is your uh, your uh, son-in-law, but for making policy, for challenging Bannon, Bannon helped you win on a lot of his. You know, obviously Trump was on his own sending that message, but Bannon solidified the base. As far as strategy goes, and now we're in on the precipice of losing Bannon because his family, Donald Trump's family, doesn't like him, or Jared Kushner wants to take over. Um, obviously, that that position—that's what it looks like. I hope he doesn't do it. I hope Trump pushes back on it. I hope Bannon stays. If Bannon leaves, we're in big trouble. It's no more that nation, nationalist vision because you already have pretty busy. You have the Flynn is gone. I mean, who else is there? Who else is there? So if, if that goes, that means um, Trump is uh, definitely, definitely switching, switching sides. Yeah, and, and I'm amazed as well that the headlines on Drudge today, uh, one of several changes, of course, on Drudge, but um, Trump essentially is embracing NATO, whereas before, you know, he was NATO is useless. Now, I even think I think he called it a disaster or whatever, but now he's embracing NATO. What, seriously? You know, I think this Russian story kind of closed them in. You know, it was so, they, I mean, they did a good job, right? The media and, right. and they said, I mean, they did a great job of just crushing them with this Russian story. I mean, it wasn't going to go anywhere. You are obviously not allowed to have a good relationship with Russia in this country. You are obviously not allowed. If you're going to run for president, you have to have Russia as the enemy. You know, in order for the new world order to exist after World War II, Russia has to be the enemy. And if you divert from that path, you get this, oh, you're a Russian puppet spy? And Trump now has to launch missiles at Syria just to prove that he's not? And then we have to start World War III because guess what? <laughs> and now, oh, Bannon, you know, that whole president, oh, it's President Bannon. That whole issue there is meant to piss Trump off. And I'm hearing reports that Trump did get upset about it, but that's what it's meant to do. That's what it's meant to do. So right now, I'm honestly, I'm not too happy about the current situation and path. Uh, and I don't think anyone should be, you know, we should be true to our values. We should be true to ourselves. The integrity uh, that that we so that that we talk about should be 
first and foremost, regardless, it is not Trump right or wrong or America right or wrong. It is just simply right or wrong, good versus evil. And I think we have to adhere to that in my view. So when Donald Trump veers from that um, good versus evil or right versus wrong mentality or the platform that he ran on, uh, to, to do something that would appease the globalists. I think we should call him out on it. We need to call him out on it. We need to be vocal about it because we would do the same thing with Hillary. Of course, everything. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, that's a given. But okay. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, we've got about, uh, about 10 minutes left of, of, of your time. Man, I'll tell you, it's, it's great. And folks, uh, Chad books him from, uh, Insurgency Broadcast, who's you're merging with, uh, amtvmedia.com, which is, what does that stand for again? I'm sorry. Oh, alternative media television. Yeah, like I couldn't have thought that one up, or thought of that. Alternative <laughs> media. Okay. All right. Alternative media uh, TV media. Alternative media television. Yeah, there's a lot of great content there. There's a lot of great okay. content on the website. We have on demand actually with uh, great interviews, great new content. It's just five ninety five a month and uh, fifty nine ninety five a year actually. You know, a lot of people are going to that subscription based model, and I think that. Because of the animosity, the animus that exists in the current environment where independent broadcasters are, we're just getting slammed left and right, censored, demonetized. Mm-hmm. So congratulations for, for launching that and for being Yeah, and that's the reason why, just what you said right there, YouTube is obviously on a war path against any broadcasting network that doesn't abide by their worldview. Um, so we have to fight back. And that's, you know, bringing the rafts together, creating new platforms and, you know, just uh, working together to, to fight them. It is an information right. war. Yeah, and I think we need to, I think all of the independent media needs to create an alliance of tr- of, of uh, truth seekers and truth reporters because there, I can see where they will hit the low-hanging fruit and, and some of the, you know, take shots at even some of the higher-positioned alternative media uh, platforms. But, it, you know, together... We represent un- unbeatable force, more unbeatable than we are. We could be separately. So I think we all have to have this mutual aid package, in my view, of alternative media broadcasters or independent media broadcasters. But that, that's sure. a different subject. But um, all right. So yeah, what else uh, is on your radar uh, in terms of the geopolitics? We we talked about North Korea. We talked a little bit, or we talked about Syria. We talked about the internal politics with Donald Trump and his administration with Bannon. Um, what about Obama? Where, where's he been, by the way? Yeah, where's Obama been? Yeah. He's been, uh, you know, trying to, he's been basically, uh, making Susan Rice feel better. <laughs> Saying, look, <laughs> you're going to take all the blame for this. Just, you did it in Benghazi. Just do it one more time. <laughs> one more time. I think, honestly, he's trying to put his ducks in a row regarding the surveillance matter. Um, you know how uh, Obama is. He's very, a narcissistic individual, if his legacy gets tainted even a bit. I'm surprised he's not in front of the cameras on a daily basis. I, I heard that he did travel to some island uh, to escape his wife and family for like two months. <laughs> yeah. He never brings their winner. I don't understand. I don't understand. Yeah, right? it's, it's weird to me that he doesn't ever bring um, Michelle on his vacations. But I'm, I'm sensing that um, he's doing things in the background, obviously. He still have his, has his people in government. Um, but why hasn't he came out from the cameras yet? I'm surprised he hasn't done that yet. I would suspect to see him like every weekend and the media just running to him. What do you think about Syria? What do you think about 
Um, but right now, um, he's probably worried about the surveillance issue. I would hope he's preparing for that because I think something's going to come out of that. Do, do you really? I, I'm kind of waiting for that, uh, Chad. I, and, and I've seen a lot of comments by people saying, you know, you don't hold your breath and no one ever gets prosecuted in this country. And I have a tendency to agree. Uh, where is Sessions been quiet essentially on, on, on these, on, on Hillary on, and so is Trump on, on Hillary, um, on the surveillance? the outing, the unmasking of, of people. Um, but I, I do believe that Obama will be a player in this uh, here. Uh, give it a month, give it two months. As we get into summer, um, I believe that he's going to emerge as more of a community organizer for the for the, uh, uh, for the the marches and the protests. That's my view and information reason and, uh, and analysis based on information I'm getting from my sources. But but then again, who knows? Um, all right, in the closing minutes we, we've got here, in your mind, the most important threat, is it, is it North Korea? Is it Syria? Is it, uh, are they going to, uh, deep state going to attempt to uh, impeach and, and otherwise get rid of Donald Trump? Or, you know? I think, uh, you know, I really think that the deep state has found a way to work with Donald Trump. Um, I've always thought that the deep state will absolutely hold Donald Trump's foreign policy hostage for any domestic policy to be passed, uh, just to keep the New World Order intact. As we've seen John McCain uh, always come out, the New World Order is being <laughs> is collapsing. So mm-hmm. it looks, and, and Donald Trump is starting to kind of fall in that path to make sure that it doesn't. That's why we see him backing NATO 100%. I think North Korea, a war with North Korea is imminent. I think it is going to be, uh, very, very tough for America. My only fear would be the people, because, you, you know, in North Korea and Russia, they're united. In China, they're united. You know, they're going to fight to the kamikaze death. Good point. And, you know, we have a lot of, yeah, I mean, like, there are so many snowflakes in this country who just cry about everything. My fear is that we are on the path to a world war, and does America have the will to see it through? For all half yeah. the population who hates this country, okay, they're going to realize that this country gives opportunities that no other country will. But are they willing to die for it? And that's what a world war, a, a world war would, will find out. Do, do, do you think, and uh, Joe and I were talking about this, do you think that North Korea has the capability, whether by sub or naval asset, or the intercontinental ballistic missile, I kind of doubt, uh, uh, but to strike mainland America with a nuclear weapon or an EMP-style weapon, does North Korea have that capability, and do you see that as a, a flashpoint to conflict with North Korea? Or would, what would conflict look like? What would the flashpoint of conflict look like? You know, I, I think that they don't have that technology yet. If they did, then they got it from China. I don't think they developed themselves. I think we are more in a situation where they can get a nuke, you know, across the border into South Korea, or hit one of our allies in the area um, with ballistic missiles. As far as hitting the U.S. mainland, I don't think they're there yet. Um, and the U.S. intelligence services have been hacking all their technology to prevent them from doing any really more tests that would help them in that in that matter. I don't, I don't think they're there yet, but, I mean, they're already far enough. They have nuclear weapons. If they could put it at anything and uh, hit one of our allies or us here in the mainland, doesn't matter what kind of missiles they have, in my opinion. Okay. Interesting answer. Um, Chad, we only have about a minute and a half left before the end of the segment. The, we, you mentioned the Susan Rice story, um, the unmasking. It, it, obviously, it's known that she unmasked names 
and that story kind of went away with the gas attack and then the the Syria strike. Do you think that we will see uh, this resurface in the news, and do you think that at least Susan Rice or other people will be held accountable? Well, I think that we're seeing reports that you're right. It's getting drowned out by the uh, uh, by, by Syria. Um, you know, I, I don't think anybody's going to go to jail. <laughs> I just yeah. think that you know people's reputations are going to get hurt. Obama's legacy will get affected. Maybe uh, maybe a fine. <laughs> you know, maybe a hundred dollar fine for spying on the people's uh, party. <laughs> it's I don't think anybody's going to jail. All right, my brother. Wow. Thank well, you for checking in with us. Uh, yeah, it was great having you back on. And again, um, you are now affiliated with, uh, Christopher Green with AMTV, uh, AMTV and folks go AMTVmedia.com. to AMTVmedia.com. Yeah, AMTVmedia.com and go to Insurgency Broadcasting Network on YouTube. You'll love, um, you'll love Chad's, uh, work. Yeah, uh, subscribe. I, I love it. Yep. Subscribe and, 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 uh, check out all the content that he's got up there and, um, Chad, thanks for joining us again, and we look forward to having you on in the future. And oh, thank you, guys. You're the man. It's always a pleasure. I always love being here with you guys. Thank you. Thank you, brother. Folks, we're going to be right back. You're listening to the Hagman and Hagman Report. What a great what a great guy, Chad. Uh, books him from Insurgency Broadcast. He is really on top of things. And i got to tell you, you got pay attention to what he's saying. Uh, so, okay, we don't have a, uh, we don't have a clock, uh, program clock here, so we're flying blind. You got a, a phone, second. a watch, a computer. Well, you uh, see a the phone wall phone. clock. What we don't have is our our program clock that we usually have that sits right over here. Uh, that you know, tells basically, us, you yeah. press the button and it speaks the time for you. Yeah, no, no. all right. Thank yeah, you we're for the on our way out. We'll there be right we back after this. Stay with us. Greenovative. Go to HagmanReport.com. Click on the link to Greenovative. What Greenovative is, it's a small company in Florida. They created something called the GMAG Power Cell. It produces electricity by adding salt water to this unit that recharges rechargeable batteries. It's the coolest thing you'll ever see in your life. It's really neat. Really a, a super device. All right, You need just two teaspoons of ordinary table salt, a little water, but a thing, you're charging your rechargeable batteries. Super GMAG chargeable is affordable. It's lightweight, weighs about 8 ounces. It's durable. It's EMP proof. And it's environmentally friendly. Yeah, that it is. It'll provide safe and convenient power for recharging uh, six AA batteries off the grid when other power sources aren't available anywhere, anytime, in any weather, day or night. Go to greenovative.com. That's greenovative.com. Folks, in these uncertain times, it just makes sense to have a sustainable backup method for accomplishing one of life's most important tasks, that's preparing food. This is the way to go. There is nothing better than a Minuteman rocket stove from MinutemanStove.com. We all need a way to cook and a method to process water. I mean, think about it. Think about the many things that could happen to you. Minuteman rocket stove can provide your family or group the perfect solution. It's small, lightweight, wood-burning, and every bit as powerful as a kitchen stove. It's smoke 
smokeless, fully self-contained for clean storage and transport. Because it's so efficient, it cuts down on your wood gathering and processing chores to a tenth what would be required if cooking the old-fashioned way over an open fire. So don't rely on gas or fuel stoves. Prepare your family. Prepare for yourself. Order a Minuteman rocket stove today. It's going to make bad times much better. Folks, MinutemanStove.com. MinutemanStove.com. Need I say more? You should have a Minuteman, the survival stove in an MOK. For investors, Timberland has become the symbol of safety. Global tropical timber demand continues to surge as the world's population increases. The need for managed, sustainable timber production forests has never been greater. When stock markets crash, trees keep growing. Direct ownership of fully managed tropical timberland acreage is now available to accredited investors. Prime, valuable hardwood groves close to the beautiful Costa Rican border generate and maintain superior long-term wealth. Consider visiting our forest plantations. Qualified accredited investors should go to PreciousTimberProfits.com or dial 855-888-6288 for more information. Call 855-888-6288 or visit PreciousTimberProfits.com. This announcement does not constitute either an offer to sell securities or a solicitation of an offer to purchase. Offering made by prospectus only. 855-888-6288, PreciousTimberProfits.com, PreciousTimberProfits.com. Yeah, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is your welcome to this edition of the Hagman and the Hagman Report. HagmanReport.com, that's our website, our YouTube channel, of course. Uh, please subscribe to our YouTube channel. That elevates our visibility. It helps us uh, stay relevant. And uh, we're fighting, of course, censorship. So... And a whole lot of things. So help us in that fight by subscribing to our YouTube channel. Also, bookmark HagmanReport.com. Uh, I should also tell you that uh, I am arranging data to be uh, uh, posted on HomelandSecurityUS.com. And, of course, we have the Northeast Intelligence Network, a group of investigators, folks that are, are infiltrating the communist groups in America That is, and Muslim groups in America. Um, of course, I'm not going to report on that. We don't. Truthfully, we don't telegraph our uh, movements within that investigative group. And by the way, I will say this. All of the investigators under the umbrella of the Northeast Intelligence Network are accredited, they're experienced, and they're all volunteer. So, uh, and, and they're doing this to report their findings or to report things that are taking place behind the scenes that the mainstream media doesn't care about or they facilitate, to be honest and the government uh, doesn't appear to care about. So that's coming alive. That's HomelandSecurityUS.com. Um, I'm bringing that back again uh, as the investigative portal to what we're doing. And, of course, our enemies don't like that, so trust me when I tell you, expect, you, well, people have said, look, expect blowback, and we're already experiencing that. But the investigators uh, actually have grown in number now. Uh, the coordinated... Uh, uh, efforts to infiltrate and we've, we've, I can tell you this, there are so many seditious groups out there under the umbrella of organizing for action under the Obama umbrella and they also include Muslim groups and we've got, uh, we've got our tentacles in a whole bunch there. So thank you to our investigators on the ground. And again, I want to thank Global Star Radio Network for carrying our program, Blog Talk Radio for carrying our program. And of course, if you can watch it live on YouTube. And lastly, um, or Two more things before we bring our guests on. 
Folks, don't forget, Awaken to the Shaken Conference in Gurney, Illinois. We're going to be there May 5th and 6th, that's Friday and Saturday, with Russ Dizdar, Pastor Paul Begley. That's Awaken to the Shaken Conference in Gurney, Illinois, just north of Chicago, May 5th and 6th. Right down there. Look, see? There you go, if you're watching on uh, YouTube. Uh, register. Play. It's free. It's a free event. Register. PaulBegleyProphecy.com. Right. But i got to tell you, it's filling up. So if you are 90% sure you're going to be going, register. Please register. That's all we ask. It's free. But just because it's free, don't think you can't, you know, don't have to register because there's limited seating and it's filling up. And, uh, we're, we're going to be, I'm going to be presenting courtroom ready. Basically the, those people in attendance will, will, will be the jury, if you will. And, uh, I'll be presenting in, in, for my part, my part, presenting the evidence of Pedogate slash Pizzagate, the, uh, the who, what, when, where, why, and how. Laying it all out for you. And those people in attendance will, will, I'm working on this with Eric, but I'm working, uh, I'm working on this as well. We'll get, uh, handouts. We'll get stuff to take with you. It's amazing though, you gotta make sure the attorney, the attorneys, are, you know, it's gotta get, our legal team has gotta look at it. Yes, that costs money. To make sure that no one, you know, that, uh, we don't get, uh, sued. And, and uh, I've got a preliminary green light on everything that I've done. And that's very extensive. And I would, in, in the same line with that, uh, George Webb was on our program some time ago. Uh, George Webb, W-E-B-B. I, I, he's doing a fantastic job, uh, covering the Muslim infiltration in Congress, the Awan brothers. Check him out on YouTube as well. I just want to, I really, he's getting into some very proactive and dangerous territory. Trust me when I tell you this, it's not a good place to, I mean, the, the guy knows what he's doing, but he's into some very, um, he's, he's a courageous guy and I thank him for, to thank him. He was on our program here not too long ago and that's George Webb. He's a great investigative journalist. But boy, I'll tell you something, uh, pray for him and keep, well, keep him in your prayers and certainly pass his YouTube channel along to your congressman, senator, your, uh, just follow him too. Okay. Um, he didn't ask me to do that. It's just one of those things that I, I thought of and I want to mention it. Uh, our guest this hour is, of course, Steve Mashney. Moshney. Yeah. I asked him how to pronounce for- that before and he said Moshney. And here I say Mashney. First time guest, he's an author and a missionary. He's written several books about his experiences in the Middle East and about the miraculous salvation experiences of Muslims. Uh, and his story is fantastic. He's an author of the uh, latest book, Another Fold, True Life Stories of Muslims Coming to Jesus Christ Through Visions, Dreams, and Miracles. Uh, Stephen, welcome to the Hagman. He's got Hagman a great report. message, by the way. Yeah. Oh, thank you very much. Appreciate it. It's great to be with you guys today. Well, it's great to have you. Um, to, to tell us a little bit about yourself, if you, if you don't mind, because there are people who may not know who you are, and I think it's important for you to kind of give an account of, of, of who you are, because it's an amazing story. Okay, thank you very much for that. And about the last name, uh, because it's an Arabic last name, it's a little bit difficult to transfer into the English. In the Arabic, you say El-Meshni. Uh, so uh, into the English, 
usually they call me Moshni or Mashni, one of the two, but either one works. But um, my name, uh, like you said, uh, is Steve Mashni, but I was, uh, my real name is actually Hussein. I was, uh, uh, my father is Palestinian, he's Muslim, and my mother is Catholic, she's from Brazil, they met in Brazil. And got married there, and then I came. They came up here, and I was born in Oakland, California, in 1963. And uh, I was when I was born because my father is Muslim. Uh, usually, when the father is Muslim, it is automatic that the kids will be Muslim. And uh, that's uh, that was the agreement in my family is that I would be brought up Muslim. And uh, I was just pretty much a cultural Muslim. Uh, when I was here in uh, America, I, you know, I didn't eat pork. I didn't, you know, didn't go to church, didn't have Bibles, you know, those, those type of things, just kind of nominal Muslims. But when I was nine years old, uh, I, uh, my parents divorced, and so my father took me to his village, which is in the West Bank. It's near Jerusalem, and uh, it's actually the biblical city of Ai, uh, today it's called Der Dibwan. And, uh, there, my, my village is 100% Muslim. I, I learned about Islam and I learned about the Quran and, uh, you know, I'd always loved Jesus even as, as a child, even though I didn't know very much about him. I, I had seen the movie The Robe and the movie, uh, there's another big movie, uh, back then, the, uh, <laughs> Ben Hur. And so I kind of had just a tiny glimpse of uh, of Jesus from from some movies and stuff, and I wanted to know more. But because my family, there was kind of an agreement that we would be a Muslim family, uh, we didn't talk about Jesus, and so I wasn't allowed to really learn too much about him. But when I went to the Middle East, uh, you know, I wanted to find out about Jesus there too, and and they told me about Jesus. It's the Muslim Jesus. <laughs> You know, the Apostle Paul talks in First Corinthians or Second Corinthians, uh, I believe it's 11.4, where he says that if someone comes and preaches to you another Jesus, well, the Muslims have another Jesus. And that's the Jesus that uh, they told me about, and I, I came to believe in that Jesus. And uh, he essentially is, uh, he was born of a virgin, like uh, the real Jesus. Uh, he uh, had no earthly father, like, of course, born of a virgin. Uh, he did miracles, raised the dead, uh, and is going to come back and judge the world. So he had many attributes like the real Jesus. But, of course, there's two very, very important uh, differences, you know, which is the whole core and the big problem with Islam, uh, and that is that they say that he is not the Son of God. In the Quran, there is a surah, it's called Surah Al-Ikhlas, and it says, which means, uh, say that Allah is one, uh, he's not born, he doesn't give birth, there's no one equal to him. And so that's like, all Muslims know that, you know, that, and, and that, that is like a specific, is specifically addressing the issue of the deity of Jesus Christ, because it's saying he is not God, he is not the Son of God. And there are many verses in the Quran that say, uh, Jesus is not the son of God, that God has no son. How could God have a son when he doesn't have a wife? That's what the Quran says. How could he have a son when he doesn't have a wife? And so you can see there's a misunderstanding about what it means to be a son of God. Uh, and then the, the, the second difference between the Islamic Jesus and the true Jesus 
is that they state that he did not die. Uh, but when uh, they came to arrest him in the Garden of Gethsemane, that uh, Jesus asked one of the disciples, he said to one of the disciples, uh, hey, who wants to uh, be made to look like me? And uh, you're going to get crucified, and you're going to suffer, and I'm going to be taken up into heaven, you know, because uh, God doesn't want his prophet to endure pain. Uh, but you're going to be crucified because you're going to, everybody's going to think that you're me, and then, but, the good thing is that after you're crucified, you're going to go straight to heaven. So this is a dialogue that Jesus supposedly had with his disciples in Islam. And so one of the disciples was made to look like Jesus. And again, it is one of the most famous verses of the Quran. Almost every Muslim knows it. It's chapter 4, verse 157. It says uh, in English, they did not kill him. They did not crucify him, but it was made to appear so to them. You know, and what happened there is that uh, Allah uh, uh, changed the appearance of one of the disciples so that the people took the uh, the look-alike and crucified him. Most Muslims believe it was actually Judas Iscariot who was crucified, not Jesus. And Jesus was taken up into heaven where he's still alive, and that's what they believe, and they believe he's going to come back and judge the world. So there, by that, you know, the, the devil has taken away the deity of Christ, divested Jesus of the deity, and divested the world of salvation through the blood of Jesus because he didn't die, or come back to life, of course. So anyway, that's the Jesus that I came to accept, and I was very devout, I was very committed, I was worried about Christians, I wanted to come back to America to preach to Christians so that they would become Muslims, because I felt that Muhammad was the last religion the last prophet, the seal of the prophets, and that everybody needed to accept him in order to go to heaven. And uh, that was my desire. And when I was 12 years old, uh, my father brought us back to America. And uh, I went back to school. I uh, started seventh grade, eighth grade, ninth grade. I started in high school. And then, and I was a very committed Muslim this whole time, very devout, very convinced. I used to hate Christianity. And uh, one thing I used to do, and not all Muslims do this, but I used to do this, is that whenever I'd see a church, I'd spit on it just to show my irreverence for it because, you know, I hated uh, the idea of the cross and the crucifixion and everything. Uh, I felt that was a lie from, uh, you know, of Christianity as I was taught. But then when I was 15 years old, uh, it was, I was in California and it was, uh, the night before Easter of 1978. And I was watching Saturday Night Live that night and I was alone in the house. And, and after Saturday Night Live, there was nothing else on TV. There was, you know, no ga- no, uh, games or anything like that. Uh, but there was an Oral Roberts crusade. And uh, Oral Roberts was talking about Jesus, about the death and resurrection, because it was the day before Easter. Well, it was, out, it was actually Easter by then. It was probably about 1 o'clock in the morning. And uh, and while he was talking, I, I, I can't remember exactly what he said, but the Spirit of God just fell on me so powerfully. It was like this explosion happened inside of me. And I knew that the Holy Spirit had just come to me, and it was as if Jesus had entered the room, and he was just like uh, in front of me. And, and and I looked and I said, Jesus, I recognized him. And I knew that it was Jesus had actually come into the room. And uh, and the one thing that, that when that happened, I knew that Jesus is the Son of God. When he came to me, I knew he was the Son of God. 
You know, as a Muslim, of course, I, I would never say that. But when he came, I knew him. And I knew he was a son of God. And, you know, I had, in Islam, in religion, I had so long looked for something to satisfy my spirit, satisfy this emptiness. I was so miserable. I was so empty. Yeah, I was religious, tried to be a good person, but I was so miserable, so empty. But when Jesus came, he filled that emptiness. The same way he says to the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4, he says, I'll give you water. If you drink of it, you will never thirst again. That's exactly what he did for me. He came, he gave me that water, and that was 40 years ago. And to this day, uh, my spirit is satisfied because I drank of that living water. And uh, that changed my life uh, instantly. It was such a miracle. And uh, I, I can't deny what happened. If I deny it, I, I'd be a liar. That happened, and it was so powerful. And it, to this day, you know, I'm I'm serving him uh, because of that. So yeah. that's kind of a little. <laughs> and what a, what a fascinating story. Um, and and you, and you talked about how um, you know you uh, were a, a believing and devout Muslim that you wanted not only that not only you believed um, in Islam and in Allah, but that uh, you despised Christianity because uh, you were such a devout Muslim. And, you know, in my mind, we're sitting here thinking, what would, what could cause somebody yeah, with it, that mentality to instantly switch? It had to be a very powerful personal experience because you don't yeah. hear, uh, you know, how often do you hear uh, of the devout Christians or Muslims, you know, getting instantly, you know, switching to, to the other or, religion or, yes, yes. and doing so, you know, with all sincerity in their heart? That's not something that you hear too often, but um, this in your book you you give many examples of this. How did your family? Uh, how did you um, take this to your family, and what was the response you got? Well, I, you know, I was living with my father at the time. I, I didn't I didn't have the you know my mother had left, so it was just me and my dad and uh, my sister, my stepmother, and my brothers step half brothers and sisters. They were all back in the Holy Land. And so it was just me and my dad here uh, in America at that time. And uh, my dad, is he's very simple. He's, he's a committed Muslim, but he's very simple, and he doesn't read. You know, he, he never learned how to read or write Arabic or English or any language. So, well, you know, the day, a few days after that happened, it was on Monday. You know, that happened on Sunday. On Monday, I went to the church, the one that I used to always spit at. <laughs> It was called the Bethel Open Bible Church. I saw, I, I, I ought to give him credit since I used to spit. But I went there and uh, I talked with the pastor and I, uh, and I told him, hey, this happened to me and I don't know what to do. I don't know, you know, what should I do next? And he explained to me the four spiritual laws and then he asked me, he said, you know, do you know the only sin that can't be forgiven? You know, and I, I said, well, murder? And he said, no, he says, it's if you don't receive the Lord Jesus Christ, because he died to save you from hell. And he says, do you want to receive Jesus? And I said, yes, of course. You know, I, I felt like I already did, but, you know, I guess, you know, I want to make sure I, you know, uh, you know, dotted my I's and crossed my T's and did everything right, you know. And so I, uh, I prayed with him, you know, prayed to receive the Lord, you know, and, uh, and uh, I started going to the church every now and then. Uh, you know, I, I didn't go to church regularly. I'd, I'd, I'd never been to a church before. I never, you know, entered a church except for in, at a wedding once, you know, when I was like seven years old. 
So I was, you know, I wasn't used to the whole culture of church. You know, I didn't know what that was like. And so, uh, but I would go there and just kind of counsel with him, like once a week or so. And, uh, but then my sister came back. She had been living in the Holy Land, and she came back to America. And when she came back, uh, I told her what happened to me. And then uh, she was... She was a, a very devout Muslim at that time too, and so she was upset, you know, when that ha- when that happened. And she told my dad, and uh, when she told my dad, you know, that night I, I was out with friends. But that day I was out with friends. That night I came home, and and my sister and my dad were sitting together. And then uh, my dad says to me, says, "Ten, you know, would would you sit down?" And I did. And he says, "You know, we're family, right?" And I said, "Of course." And he says, "We're uh, Arabs, right?" I said, yeah, of course, we're Arabs. And he says, we're Muslims, right? And, you know, I didn't know that much about, you know, the Bible yet. And, uh, but I did know, I did, I had read in that Bible that I got from the church that Jesus said, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before the Father. And so, you know, I, I said, no, Dad, uh, I'm, I'm not a Muslim anymore. And he says, why? You know, and I just said, I'm happy this way, you know. And, uh, and then he, you know, he took a shoe and threw it at me. And, and then he, he told me to leave, you know, to leave the house. But then before I, I reached the door, he grabbed me and just started shaking me and tried, you know, to get me to go back to Islam. And he thought I was crazy that something, I mean, it, you know, I'm sure people in a lot of your viewers know this, but you know, that for a Muslim to become a Christian, you know, is there's a death penalty for that? Yeah, you're going to say the penalty is death, right? I mean, yeah, even even death. by the hand of your own father or your own family. Yeah, it is, and 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 quite often it is from the family because most governments don't undertake. Uh, it's called an Arabic hadrida, you know, which is like the the red line kind of where if you cross that, you know, some places like Saudi Arabia they will behead you. You know, Saudi Arabia, you know, are our faithful ally. You know, they 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 were absolutely cut heads off at no and no problem at all. You know, but uh, and Egypt, you know, they're pretty bad too. But it's usually the family or uh, family members, cousins, or somebody that will actually carry out the execution if there is an execution. And uh, so it, and so I knew the danger that you know that this presented for me. You know, and uh, my father was a very good man. He's very gentle, and most Muslims are. You know, most Muslims would not do the uh, the death penalty. They would not kill their their child. But it is a great source of shame. What the greatest source of shame? And you know, Muslims love to come up with little uh, with little mythologies just to, to kind of you know, like Jesus said to the Pharisees, that you put all these weights on people, you know, and you won't lift up a finger to help them carry them. And a lot of the imams, you know, it, it makes me angry because uh, my father suffers because of this. You know, like they tell, like one thing they've told my dad is that he won't be able to go to heaven unless I go back to Islam. You know, and and I've had I've had my siblings crying at me. You know, you got to come back to Islam or dad's gonna go to hell. You know, <laughs> I mean, and they I, I, I've never heard that in the Quran or in the Hadith. You know, I think they just make this up just to put pressure on people. You know, and you know it it's it just torment. You know, well, but it, um, it fascinates me, sir. And correct me if if I'm not accurate on this you described your family as the kind of cultural muslims uh in, in fact even your parents um they're different 
uh, belief systems. The, the reaction by your father, um, being a cultural, not necessarily devout, and again, correct me if this is not, not accurate, um, but his reaction to your acceptance of Christianity, your change to Christianity. Now, okay, so if that is the case, and I believe it to be true, as you stated, contrast that to the more devout Muslims, their reaction. Wow. Well, you know, the most Muslims are very, you know, and I say this sincerely, most Muslims, are, they're wonderful people. If you have Muslim friends, they're beautiful people, very gentle, very humble, very nice people. And, and, and you know, you got to separate between Islam and Muslims. Muslims are, are beautiful people. They're some of the nicest people. Sometimes they're even nicer than Christians, you know. Uh, you know, and they're so devout, you know, they pray five times a day. How many Christians do you know that pray five times a day? You know, find a Christian who prays five times a month, you know. And, you know, these guys are praying five times a day. They're fasting a whole month. They're, you know, they're, and they're doing this all for the wrong reasons. You know, they're doing it to, to get saved, you know. And we're the children of God. We're adopted by the blood of Jesus and, you know, by the Holy Spirit, you know. And so, uh, you know, but, so the Muslims, you know, we always got to separate between Muslims and Islam. And most Muslims, you know, I'd, I'd say 90% are just beautiful people, especially here in the West. But the problem is, isn't the Muslim so much, it's Islam. Because the Quran is what, you know, the Quran has, is such a bad book. It has such evil things in it. I mean, it literally, it literally says, uh, you know, lay in wait for the infidels. Uh, you know, slay them wherever you find them. You know, lay in wait for them after the the holy months. You know, that's why if you ask any Christian in the Middle East, the time they hate the most is Ramadan. You know, uh, the fasting month. You know that CNN loves. Oh, CNN just loves Ramadan. They love to do all their nice specials about how nice it is to go walk around the rock and kiss it and everything like that. The CNN is the biggest preacher for Islam in the world right now. That that's my opinion. That's my opinion. Okay, but. Um, uh, you know, in the Middle East, if you ask Christians, they, they, they hate Ramadan because it's during that time, the Quran says, after the holy months, lay in wait for the infidels, lay in wait for the polytheists, wherever you find them, kill them. And then they just go on these killing sprees against Christians. And just look what happened in Egypt two days ago. Mm-hmm. You know, they blew up two churches, 47 people were murdered in cold blood. You know what? That Mohammed said to do that, you know, and, and I know what the, I know what CNN's gonna say. I know what President Obama's gonna say. But the Quran does say to do these things. The it's chapter 9 verse 5, chapter 9 verse 29. And, and, and you know, and then one thing that CNN always likes to point out too, is I'm really going after CNN. I should also give some credit to the Huffington Post too. But, you know, they always like to point out how that the people of the book are a special class, you know. And that, that they're protected. Well, read chapter 9, verse 29, because it says, you know, kill the infidels and those who don't accept the religion of Allah, even those of the people of the book. So now that, that violent wave also applies to Christians and Jews, you know, because the people of the book are Christians and Jews. So now most Muslims won't follow that. The good news is that most Muslims probably don't even know about those two verses, even though it's very prominent. And this is the last chapter that came to Muhammad, chapter 9, verse 5, chapter 9, verse 29. Uh, but it's in the Quran. They won't take it out. 
Yeah. You know, even when they I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, sorry to interrupt, Steve. We're coming up against the, the break. Folks, we're talking with, with Steve Meshney. He is an ex-Muslim, a Christian evangelist, and he has a television program, Message of Grace. And we'll talk about more on that on the other side. He's also the author of Another Fold, True Life Stories of Muslims Coming to Jesus Christ Through Visions, Dreams, and Miracles. And we're going to get on the other side, we're going to talk a little bit about his TV program, and we're going to talk about uh, his book and what is in his book and some of the testimonies from his own personal testimonies to others. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Visit HagmanReport.com for the news and articles that matter most. Stay tuned. We will be right back. There shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time. No, nor ever shall be. Folks, I'm going to direct your attention to masterpreps.com, masterpreps.com. Wow. Masterpreps.com, the sponsor of our show, masterpreps.com. That's masterpreps.com. Take a visit there. High-quality items, made-in-America items. I mean, anything, everything you possibly want from cooking utensils, cooking frying pans. I mean, it is, it'll blow you away. Absolutely, Erickson. It's insane. I mean, wow. Look at the products. Folks, visit masterpreps.com. Again, welcome to the Hagman and Hagman Report family. Masterpreps.com. I mean, wow, it's insane. Masterpreps.com. Are you ready for what comes next? Hi, I'm Grace Gonzalez from Train Post in the Woods. We are an American family-owned company founded and built on skills and knowledge gained from responding to aging major disasters in the U.S. and around the world. We found that most people don't have enough food and water to survive, let alone any medicinals to save their life. We are offering 25% off our must-have American Heritage Armies kit. It contains 12 homeopathic armies, a booklet that goes over everything in your kit, and our brand new book, Major Disasters Lessons Learned. Just enter coupon code HAGMAN. In life or a disaster, you must be able to take care of yourself. You may not be a medical doctor, and your grandmother and your great-grandmother probably weren't either. But they still knew how to minister to their family's health issues. And so can you. Check out our American Heritage Armies kit at www.changelessandwoods.com. Your life may depend on it. Hello, everyone. This is Joe Charles, the guy whose voice is heard announcing for the Hagman and Hagman Report right here on YouTube and across the Global Star Radio Network. There have been many people wondering whose music is being played during those breaks. Well, you guessed it. And we're very pleased to announce that all that music and 11 brand new songs from the CD New Jerusalem is set for release on April 10th for download on iTunes. That means you can help support my ministry and be blessed by this awesome, inspiring recording. I have been fortunate to work with some phenomenal musicians from around the world that helped us put this recording together in the studio. Simply go to joecharlesmusic.com and click on the iTunes link. Or, if you'd rather have a CD, we'll send one right out to you. Just leave me your email and we'll get right back to you. And thanks to Doug and Joe Hagman for making this all possible. God bless.
ladies and gentlemen, our guest, Steve Moshney. The truth, you're not going to get this truth. As he stated, as our guest stated so eloquently, you know, CNN is, is not giving you the truth. Huffington Post not giving you the truth. And, and during the break, he mentioned about New York Times and, and other. There's no one that has, that have the, and no one appears to have the, uh, or very few, I should say, are willing to provide you the truth. And our guest, Steve Moshney, is in fact providing the truth about really what's taking place, what's really going on. And I want to thank Bill McIntosh from Alcasa Media and use this opportunity right now, folks. If, if you need a speaker for your next event, for your next conference, you can check right there on, if you're watching this live on YouTube, uh, call 305-396-2806. And that's 305-396-2806. Ocasa Media, Bill McIntosh, he's the guy, and um, uh, Steve Moshney is our guest. Uh, Mr. Moshney, can I turn right back to you? Right before the break, you were, you're saying, look, uh, you know, uh, chapter 9, verse 5, chapter 9, verse 29 in the Quran, it's the blueprint for what's taking place. Uh, if you yeah. want to continue that, and then we'll, we'll get into your book and other issues that are taking place, go ahead and yeah. continue. Well, you know, there, there's, you know, one thing that's interesting is that many of the uh, terrorist operations that happen in the West, in America, in Europe, what's interesting about it is quite often they'll say, oh, there's a Danish national in our, you know, they always say, you know, but they're not real, well, they're first generation Danish national, you know, but what it is, is it's, it's almost always a new convert to Islam. Uh, and, and I'm talking these, you can see these statistics, uh, the FBI knows this, it's like 30% higher, 30% higher among new converts to Islam, the terrorist operation. You know, why is that? Why is that? You know, and, and, and quite often another, another, you know, there's that problem, the new converts to Islam. But then there's this other issue, which is like families, and I mean very sincere, wonderful people, wonderful Muslims, and like I said, 90% of them are, they're beautiful people. But so what happens quite often is that, is that the second generation, the kids, they will become radicalized. And, 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 you know, they study this, you know, the FBI, the New York Times, you know, and then they, they, they never want to say it's because of what's written in the Quran, you know, they just want to say, what is it, you know, is it rejection, is it because they didn't get the right, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, they're feeling rejection and uh, because American society is so angry, so mean and racist and homophobic and Islamophobic and all this stuff, but they don't want to look at the book. They don't want to look at what the book tells them to do. And if that, and the problem is, is that a lot of the parents, they, they, they come to America, they come to Europe to run away they want to run away from this uh, Sharia. They want to run away from Islam, and you know, and the, and the, you know, the poverty and the torment of Islam in their homeland. So they come to America. They love it. They start working here, uh, living. And but sometimes what happens is that their kids start reading the Quran because they tell their kids, "You're Muslim," and so the kids start reading the Quran. And what do they see in the Quran? They see the verse of the sword. The verse of the sword is the one that you just said, chapter nine, verse five. They see the uh, verse 29. They see verse 839. You know, Muhammad specifically said this. You know, the, you know, I love the, no, I don't, I, I absolutely hate the, the bumper sticker coexist, you know, and I blame George Bush for that. 
you know, coexist, you know, Islam, Judaism, and all this, you know, but Islam doesn't really coexist with any other religion. Just look at what happens to Christians in the Middle East. They've ju just about been extinguished from Syria, extinguished from Iraq, you know, and, you know, the uh, the caliphate, you know, that ISIS wants is right. supposed to be a Christian free zone, you know. And, uh, but, you know, what happens is that the kids, you know, the kids will go back and start reading the Quran. And when they read the Quran, they see what's written in it. And they say, hey, I'm a Muslim. I want to obey the book. Well, the book says to do these things. And that's why you find a lot of these kids, what's happening to them? They're going off to Turkey. They're going off to Syria. They're joining ISIS. You know, and so, there, you know, there's these two phenomena. The new converts who, who are learning what Islam says, who are learning what uh, to obey the book. And then you find there's also this phenomenon among second-generation Muslims. Quite often they are becoming radicalized because, unlike their parents, they don't want to run away from Islam. They want to run to Islam, and then they read in the book what it says. And you see, the problem is what's in that book. That book says these things. Okay. If you had, if you were offered a position where, in the United States government, we'll say that you you could... Your advice to our president, our, our lawmakers, whatever it might be, would be employed as it relates to Muslim immigration, as it relates to uh, the building of, of uh, a mosque here in the United States, or any, whatever the problem or situations might be. What advice would you give our nation's leaders if they were willing to hear it? If you if you were able to speak frankly, no PC talk, just laid on the line with our leaders. What advice would you give them? Well, you know, it's like I said, you know, I'm always very specific about this, is that there's a difference between the Muslims and Islam, you know, and and the people, you know, America is built on the foundation of freedom of religion. You know, we do not put any restraints on people's freedom of religion, and, and I don't, you know, that, you know, that's, that's a political thing. That is a constitutional right that we all have as Americans. I had it. I was allowed to be here. I was a Muslim, you know, uh, you know, and my brothers and sisters are Muslims, and you know, my nieces and nephews are Muslims. You know, they're kids. They're going to school. You know, I don't want them to suffer at all. You know, even if they don't want to, to, to become like me, I don't want them to suffer. You know, and America, and you know, the thing about you know, I'm, I'm, excuse me, I'm going a little bit, uh, a little bit off. Uh, Sorry. Exactly. But, you know, uh, I remember when I, when I came to America. Oh, I wasn't came. I was born here. But, but you know, I, I always felt like I was a little bit different. I felt like, you know, as an Arab, I, I knew there was something different about being Arab. I, you know, where I was in Lodi, California, yeah, of Freedom's Clearwater Revival stuck in Lodi, uh, I knew I was different. You know, uh, being an Arab is it's not the same as being German, you know, because a lot of people there were Germans, blonde, blue eyes, beautiful people, you know, and, and I felt so different all the time. But one thing that I that I noticed, you know, we had these beautiful neighbors, beautiful American neighbors, Christians, and they I didn't know they were missionaries, you know, but they were missionaries, but I didn't know that. But you know, you know, you know there's a saying in Russia, you know that uh you gave me a piece of bread and with that you gave me all of Russia. You know, and and, and it's like these people they were kind to me and they gave me America. And because of that, you know, I, I love America. I love America like any American loves America. 
you know, when, when 9-11 happened, I cried and cried. I, I was devastated. I was living in Jerusalem at the time. You know, I'm as American as anybody else, you know. And and so for the Muslims who are coming in, you know, I, you know, I, I don't want to put any constraints on them. I, uh, constraints in terms of their freedom to exercise a religion or, or their freedom to, you know, to just be who they are. You know, I, I do agree with Donald Trump. You know, I agree with Donald Trump's uh, vetting, strong vetting. I do believe we need to do that, and I think it's very logical. It's any, every country would do that. Any country would do that. You know, we have those seven countries. He's saying that they're not being vetted properly. I believe in that. I believe that we do have to have strong vetting to make sure the people who are coming here aren't members of ISIS. They're not members of al-Qaeda. They're not members of Hamas. You know, they're not members of the Muslim Brotherhood. Uh, and so, you know, I believe those... You know, those are issues that that I'm in agreement with that we do need to do for, uh, to be wise, you know, without having to have the label of Islamophobic put on it. You know, another thing is is the Muslim Brotherhood. You know, I think they're wanting to label the Muslim Brotherhood a terrorist group. I think once we do that, that's going to close. <laughs> it's going to close a lot of a lot of uh, so-called humanitarian organizations. Right. You know, and uh, you know, those are some of the things that, you know, uh, you know, it's like I'm, I'm right in the middle of it because you know, I got all these relatives and stuff, and I know they're not doing anything wrong. I know they're beautiful people, you know, and so we, uh, you know, that, that's where I kind of go into uh, my Christian mode, you know, where, uh, you know, but, but, but you know, see, I like that because. This is almost like a prophylactic. Uh, some of these solutions are almost prophylactic in nature, where you are saying, "Okay, we need to change. We need to go uh, and use Christianity as the tool that it is." And forgive me if that's not the proper way of saying it, but but we convert the Muslims. I mean, you were you experienced that's a conversion, the so that's that's the solution. Is to is what you're saying, if I'm hearing it correctly, is to proselytize. You know what? That that's if you're a Christian, if you're really following the Bible, if you're following what Jesus said, you know the answer to this situation is not political. The answer to this situation is not economic. It's a spiritual solution. You know that they it's and it's not the same. It's like like saying, oh, this is the Muslim problem. You know, it's the human problem for all humans. The solution is Jesus Christ. He is the one who gives life. You know, the Bible says God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You know, one way I like to say it when I go like to churches and talk and stuff is God so loved the Muslims that he gave his only begotten son. Because we as Christians, we can never harbor any kind of uh, animus or anti-Islam feeling, anti-Muslim feeling. Uh, we can hate the religion because it's from the pit of hell. But the people... Jesus died for them. God loves them. If we want to be like our God, we have to love them too. And if we don't love them, we're not being Christian. Because He loves them. He died for them to save them. And you know, the, uh, you know, I just, uh, Fox News, you know, I, on my TV program, I do art, stuff, I do lots of different stuff. I talk about Islam sometimes, about the Quran, about the Hadith, about Muhammad's six-year-old wife, uh, that he didn't have intercourse with till she was nine years old, Aisha, uh, you know, I do all these things, but my last episode that I did was about an article in Fox News, 
it was because it just made me laugh because it is you know because you know so many Europeans have left the church they've left their Christianity they left their faith they're secular humanist atheists and if they're not secular humanist atheists they live like they are you know and but what's happening is is that all these Muslims who are coming they're getting saved and they're accepting the Lord Jesus and they're going to church and they're reviving the dead churches of Europe <laughs> the dead churches of Europe are coming to life because of these Muslims who are getting saved. You know, and, and these Muslims, you know what, you know what the Muslims are saying? A lot of these refugees, they're saying, when we got to the, to the, to the beach, when we landed at the beach, there were Christians there. When we got to the train station, there were Christians there, meeting us with water and with food. And, you know, when we got to the immigration office, there were Christians there. Every step of the way, there were Christians there. And they're seeing this Christian love. And, and it's like with me, like those, those Christian missionaries who live next door to me, you know, with their kindness, they gave me America. You know, and eventually, uh, you know, I believe it was through their love that I, I I came to accept Christ. You know, and a lot of these Muslims, they sing this love, and they're coming to Christ. You know, and that, yeah, <laughs> you know, that kind of, and that's a good <laughs> thing. You know, to be the example, not just to to believe in Jesus, but we have to be that example that that the scriptures teach us about. Um, you know, we have about uh, what twelve minutes left until the end of the segment. Um, your book, the another another fold, true life stories of Muslims coming to Jesus Christ through visions, dreams, and miracles. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about the book and and maybe uh, a story or two about some of the more remarkable uh, things that had that you experienced that led you to write this book? Okay, well, I used to be a missionary in the Holy Land. I went back and uh, I lived there for nine years, and I lived in Jerusalem. I lived in. Uh, the West Bank, uh, and I lived also in the Gaza Strip, and uh, I lived there for nine years. Uh, uh, I was shot at by both sides. You know, the the Arabs shot at my car uh, 14 times. I was shot 14 14 bullets because they thought I was an Israeli settler, and the Israelis shot my guitar and my uh, my belongings because they thought I was an Arab terrorist. <laughs> So it's like I, I couldn't win either way. Stuck in the middle. Uh, that's got to be a, a, needless to say, that's got to be a frightening situation. Yeah. So four, 14 bullets yeah. being fired at you. I was in the car, in the and car. I didn't know that happened to me. But, uh, that's, the, that's not in, that's in my next book, which is called Apostate, which is on, on Kindle, you know. But this book is about actually people that I, most of them, I led them to the Lord. And, uh, these just, you know, I just tell the church, I just want to tell the Christians, you know, you know, I just read some statistics. You know that Christians spend a, less than a penny a day on world evangelism. Christians spend less than a penny a day on the Great Commission. Less than a penny a day. That's the statistic that I, that I read. And I'm thinking, you know what? You know what the Bible says in the book of Isaiah? God says, or Ezekiel, God says, I looked for a man. I looked for a man to, to intercede. But God says, I didn't find one. So I just went ahead and did it by myself. And I think that's what God's doing this day. He's looking for people. Uh, but you know what? That he's doing it by himself. Because God is pouring out his spirit on the Muslim world in such a powerful way. He is, you know, he loves these people. You know, he's pouring out his spirit on the In Africa, in Africa alone, six million Muslims a year are coming to Jesus Christ. He's doing this. He's doing it with dreams, visions, miracles. You know, like it came to me. He came to me. It was a miracle, you know, and he's doing this with Muslims. But, you know, uh, when I was in the Middle East, I'll just tell you a couple of the stories that are in the book. Um, like there is this, this, uh, 
this one guy, uh, this was actually in Iraq. There was a guy, uh, he was a soldier, you know, and, and, and he had some foreigners drove by in their car and, and, and they're smiling. And so he was attracted to their smiles, start talking to them a little bit. He liked to practice his English and stuff. And they gave him a little book. He said it was a little green book, but it was a Bible. It was a gospel of Luke or John. I, I, I can't remember, but, uh, and he was reading it and, and, and he was really interested. It was really drawn. He never heard anything like this before. So he put it in his pocket and then he went home that night, uh, or to his barracks. And when he was in his barracks, he took out the book and he started reading it about Jesus. And he was mesmerized by this miracle working Messiah. And then he fell asleep. And then when he fell asleep, he said that he felt warm water coming down his face. And so he took his hand to wipe the water away. But then he looked at his hand. It wasn't water. It was blood. And then he said he looked up like that. And he said he saw Jesus on the cross and the blood coming down on him. And he was just like, you know, he's like, what is this? And he grabbed the cross and he just started crying. And he said he knew that, that, that this was for him, but he didn't know what it meant. He didn't know who this was or what it meant. And so, but he knew that he had to find some Christians. And so the next day he went, he started looking for a Christian to talk to. But quite often in the Middle East, Christians are afraid to talk to Muslims like they are here in America too sometimes. You know, they're afraid to talk to Muslims. And so, uh, you know, when a, when a Muslim comes asking someone, especially when he's a soldier dressed in soldier, you know, and, and it's not without reason that they're afraid because there could be problems for any church that is, uh, sus- who they suspect of converting Muslims. That could be very dangerous for a church in the Middle East. And so anyway, he, he looked and looked and finally he found an American missionary at a Bible society or something like that. And he asked him and the person told him, told him about Jesus, told him about the blood, told him what the cross, told him about everything. And the guy just was so eager to accept Christ. He accepted Christ. But then he had problems with his wife. His wife, when she found out, she said, you can't come home. You're, you know, in, in Arabic, you're a Catholic, you know, or a, a apostate, you know, and, the, you know, there's a death penalty for that. And her family was mad, you know, and she just said, don't come home. And But he kept praying for her and praying for her, and he, he got together with believers to start praying for her. And then she did accept the Lord, too. And, and then he went home, and little by little, he had six kids. All of them came to the Lord, you know. And so whole families are coming to the Lord through these dreams and visions. And, uh, you know, I met this guy, you know, in, in Iraq. He's just an amazing believer. So brave, so bold. And uh, and if I could tell you just one more story, I don't know if I have sure. much time I got left. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, there, there's another, uh, uh, this is, this is a story that happened with me in, in Jerusalem that I was once with, uh, I was, uh, after church, I went out for coffee with a friend and we went to this, uh, restaurant and there was a young man there who was serving us and he sat down and he wanted to talk to me because he wanted to practice his English and stuff. And so I was talking to him and, and then he showed me that he had a, a, a picture of Jesus in his wallet, even though he's a Muslim. He says, I just love Jesus. He says, I'm Muslim, but I love Jesus. And I said, okay, that's great. And I said, you know, I, I started telling about Jesus. I told him how the Holy Spirit came to me, how he changed me, you know, like I shared in my testimony. And uh, and I told him, you know, would you like to accept Jesus? And he said, no, you know, I'm a Muslim, but I love Jesus. And I said, okay, I, I don't want to pressure you. And uh, so we left him, and then, you know, for about, and then, you know, this was during the time of the second intifada. Uh, that's the uprising that happened in, in uh, the Holy Land. And I was there when that happened. 
And so for about, uh, the West Bank was closed off. And so this guy was from the West Bank, so he couldn't come back to Jerusalem. So I, I completely fell out of touch with him uh, uh, for about seven months. But then after seven months, he calls me on my phone. And I was at work at the time. I was teaching at a Christian school. He calls me and he says, Hussein. I said, uh, yeah, what? He says, uh, and he said in Arabic, he says, uh, you know, and in English, what that means is the one who came to you came to me. And, wow. and I couldn't believe it, man. So, I, you know, it was too good to be true. And so I said, no, yeah, let's change the subject because I don't want him to, to, to deny it later on. <laughs> so I changed the subject. How's your wife? How's your kids? How's everything? You know, but then he says, I said, did you hear me? And I said, what? He says, the one who came to you came to me. I said, Jesus? He said, yes, Jesus came to me last night. And he said he was sitting in his kitchen, and he was so depressed because no work, you know, no money, unable to take care of his kids. His kids are crying, and all these problems. He was feeling so helpless, his wife yelling at him. All the all the pressures and the family, you know, condemning him and feeling like a failure and all that. He just sat in the kitchen. He was just crying, and he says that the Holy Spirit just came, gave him peace, and he knew that it was Jesus. And you know, he just called to tell me that. And so he prayed with me, accepted the Lord, started going to church with me, and you know. So these are just, you know, a couple of stories that God's doing this ground level situation reports from what's taking place and we've uh god's working we've heard um from bill salas he's an author um one of his latest books he talks about how christianity is the fastest and number one growing religion in iran um is it in the middle east what's going on is there an uh uh is christianity on the rise it among the muslims yes among the because you know what happens you know what happens so so many times uh, and, and you know what? We don't know the half of it. We don't know a tenth of it. You know why? Because of the fear. Mohammed set made this fear control thing where, you know, you come out and say something, you're going to be killed. You know, you're going to be killed or you're going to be persecuted. Uh, if you become, if a Muslim becomes a Christian, very likely that none of your sisters are going to get married because they're going to consider them related to the Catholic, to the apostate. Uh, you, you're not going to find a job. Your parents could be persecuted. Your whole family, it's, uh, the devil has set up this system to persecute people, to keep them from, you know, uh, accepting the Lord, and if they do accept the Lord, to keep it secret. And, uh, but I believe that women, <laughs> I believe that women, that millions of women are secret believers because of what Islam says about women. Because of what, if, if, chapter 4, verse 34 of the Quran. Chapter 4, verse 34 of the Quran. I don't care how they try to translate or feminist in America or CNN or Huffington Post try to whitewash the thing. It says, if you fear disloyalty from your wife, admonish her. Speak to her nicely. Uh, then don't sleep with her. Sleep in beds apart. And then part three, beat her. It's a command from Muhammad. Beat her. And it doesn't say how to beat her. You know what they'll always say? Oh, it means it just means that you hit her with a toothpick or something. That's what they're saying in America. 
That's what they say in America. Hit her with a toothpick or a toothbrush, you know, and you can't hit her face. You know, that's what they, the Quran doesn't say that. It just beat them. And if you look at what the, the imams in Saudi Arabia say, because they have videos about this, you can see it on YouTube, how to beat your wife, what kind of sticks to use. They got these sticks, how to beat your wife. You know, that's wow. women are coming. <laughs> the women are just, they are coming to the Lord, but secretly. And, but of those we know, you know, I'll just tell you a story uh, from Iran, you know, that one night, you know, there were people, uh, uh, you know, it was like some people woke up one morning and, and, and the one guy says, you know, I had a dream. And, and Muslims always say this. They're always going to, if, if you start having Muslims come on your program, they're always going to say, I saw a man in a white robe came to me. <laughs> they always say that. And, and, and this man says that in his village. And then the guy he said it to said, he came to me last night. And then they went and talked to the other neighbor, and they came to him. And he came, it's like Jesus came to the whole village that night, and they came to the Lord. You know, they're saying anywhere between a million and four million Iranian Muslims have become Christians. Between a million and four million. We don't know. That's amazing. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm with the four million thing. <laughs> I'm with the four billion. <laughs> and, and you're a catalyst for that, and thank you for doing what you do. Steve, we only have a minute left. Um, can you tell people uh, where they can find your te- about your TV show, where they can find it, and then uh, your upcoming book? Yeah. Well, the book is called, like you said, it's called Another Fold, you know. And, and I just want to say something about that title. Jesus said, I'm, I have another fold. He says, and, and but listen to what Jesus said about that other fold, that other sheepfold. He says, I got another sheep, another sheepfold. He says, and I must go get them. Jesus said, I must go get them. That's, this the Muslims. He says, I must go get them. And he's going and he's getting them. And we, the Christians, we need to get behind what he's doing. Cause he's doing this. And, and, you know, I must go get them. Read it. It's a beautiful passage in John chapter 10. Jesus says, I have another fold and I must go get them. So anyway, that's what the book is called. It's testimonies of 13 people, including myself and my sister, cause my sister, you know, the one who, told my dad about me. She also got saved. The Lord came to her as well. And uh, Steve, uh, thank you so much. We we ran out of time, uh, running okay. out of time. Um, it's been a it's been a pleasure having you on, and hopefully we can have you back on in the in the future, and we can get into this more. Yeah, Steve's book, Another Fold: True Life Stories of Muslims Coming to Jesus Christ Through Visions, Dreams, and Miracles, as well as uh, his TV show. The message of grace. Thank you so much, Steve. You have a great evening. Thank you very much. God bless you. God bless you. We'll be right back. Um, Don't go anywhere. Just what kind of thriller predicts the future? In three days in the belly of the beast, Daniel Holdings wrote about the God Particle before CERN actually discovered the God Particle. In As the Darkness Falls, Daniel wrote about an Islamist terrorist confederacy that rose up out of Syria and declared a caliphate three years before ISIS was ever heard of. 
In his newest novel, Between the Veil, Daniel talks about a space between dimensions where supernatural beings can walk. He says that these novels are a warning from the creator to his creation. Will war come to America? Will the world's economies collapse? Are we looking at increased earthquakes and volcanic activity? Will the United States fall into civil war? You can find all of Daniel's work at his website, danielholdings.com. That's danielholdings.com. All of these things and more are talked about in Daniel's books. To find out what's coming next, go to danielholdings.com. Worldwide demand is making coconuts one of the highest-yielding cash crops available today. Coca-Cola, Pepsi, and many high-net-worth individuals have invested billions of dollars into coconuts for strong growth and solid long-term income. Yields could be as high as 18% or more per year. Capital appreciation and exceptional income for up to 60 long years would be an absolutely brilliant investment to pass on to future generations. Diversify wisely with direct ownership of fully managed coconuts on prime farmland close to the beautiful Costa Rican border. For more information, qualified accredited investors should go to ProfitsInCoconuts.com or phone 855-888-6288. That's 855-888-6288. This announcement does not constitute an offer to sell securities or a solicitation of an offer to purchase. Offer made by prospectus only. 855-888-6288 or visit ProfitsInCoconuts.com. ProfitsInCoconuts.com. You may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles, Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes where the homicide becomes a secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind-controlled experimentation. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in this community and beyond. Stained by Blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report. Um, some breaking news, I guess, if you call it that. The oh, What's going on in North Korea? They're saying that uh, U.S. officials believe North Korea has placed a nuclear device in a tunnel, which could mean a nuclear test is imminent. Um, so keep your eyes on that, as foreign journalists visiting North Korea have been told to prepare for a big and important event. So it will be interesting to see uh, what comes of this if the, the nuclear test is uh, launched if it is successful and if there would be any backlash to that test with us now is pastor david langford he joins us each and every wednesday in our third hour the voice of evangelism.com is his website pastor welcome back to the show it's a great joy to be with you gentlemen tonight and the listening audience and a very powerful previous speaker you had on your program witnessing about jesus our lord's christ yeah it was a, a fascinating interview. The, he, the man he, was a Muslim. He took fourteen and, bullets, and they only got four in his uh, in his guitar. He took fourteen bullets in, into his car, and uh, they managed to 
all miss him miraculously. Well, you know, yeah, that's why guys have heard me. I'm very careful about predestination and election. But in a situation like that, if you don't believe that God has preordained that man to be saved, to be born into the kingdom of God, and be a joint heir with Christ, then you have a problem with it. Um, and as I said, I don't like to get into predestination election because people kind of use that as a way of a, of abuse. But to mm-hmm. take somebody like himself that knows nothing about Jesus and that divine visitation of God came to him and spoke to his heart, and it's a revelation, and it's a revelation of none other than Jesus Christ. And that's what makes it so profound. And it always, when you hear these stories, they're always life-changing. You know, Paul the Apostle, he had the same encounter. Uh, 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 Peter, James, and John, they saw Christ at Mount Transfiguration in his glory. Uh, I was 12 years old. The Lord came to me. The light was so bright. It was so blinding. I could see nothing. Uh, People who have those kind of encounters, I believe, are divine in the sense it's so indelible, there's no way to deny it. You know, Paul didn't say, you know, know, who, who are you? Who's this talking to me? He he said very very clearly, very plainly, after the 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 light had stricken him and spit him, he said, "Who art thou, Lord?" I mean, he knew it was deity, you know. And he said, "You know, I'm Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the prick." So, you know, God gives these encounters with with men, you know, constantly. Now, we we don't all get those. Uh, but oftentimes there's a reason for that depth and breadth of an encounter for the purpose of never being able to deny preaching the gospel or being a witness or evangelist or missionary. That one encounter is so divine in nature, it's just, it's like it's irrevocable. You just can't, you just can't do away with it. You're, you're kind of like, Chuck, you're stuck. You're stuck with it, and you have to go and you have to preach. And at times God will deliver, like him, 14 bullets uh, that's the grace of God the hand of God and so it's, a, it's an exciting time to me to be a Christian I'll tell you that Amen America's pastor that's my uh, terminology for Pastor David Langford uh, most assuredly he's our, my personal pastor and uh, the Hagman and the Hagman Report uh, pastor and, and uh, spiritual advisor but uh, a senior spiritual advisor he's the man i mean the bible is uh the bible is the reference book the the word of god and uh when when i have questions about the bible i turn to pastor langford and i'm so thankful to have pastor langford in my life and our lives pastor where do you want to take this tonight well we're going to have communion before we uh we leave the air tonight i i do want to prepare people uh, I'll just listen to Joe give the news excerpt. Uh, there's something coming, uh, and it's not going to be pretty. And, you know, I hear people all the time, you know, bashing and lambasting Donald Trump. But, you know, Jesus or Jehovah, Exodus 15, 3 says, The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Uh you you would have to be a fool to not believe we're not going to encounter wars here in the end. Matthew 24, 6, you've heard me quote it numerous times. And you shall hear wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled, for all these things must 
come to pass, but the end is not yet. In other words, when these wars began, this is the beginning of the end. And I've said it before the election. I've said it since the election. He's put together Donald Trump, one of the greatest military cabinets in, in modern history. You have men that have tremendous courage. Now call them insane, call them demon-possessed. doesn't matter what you call them. Proverbs 21.1, the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. Revelation 17, 17, for God hath put it in their hearts to fulfill his will. If God wants war, there's going to be war. He told us that there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. Even in the 14th chapter of Luke, verse 31, or what king going to make war against another king sitteth not down first and consulteth whether he be able with 10,000 to meet him that cometh against him with 20,000. Or else, while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth ambassadors. One translation is, an embassy, and desireth conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever he be of you, that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. And what Jesus is talking about there relative to war when you start serving Christ, you better be willing to pay the ultimate price. If you can't, you better sit down and make a very calculated, judicious decision. Because this is what he's talking about here, because these things are going to come. And if those saying is true, you won't live to fight another day, you, you better get you some guys, an entourage, and go try to mitigate this thing and talk it out before the 20,000 gets to the 10,000, because they're going to wipe you out. So, you know, throughout the scriptures, you know, we see the, the Word of God talks about wars. It talks about battles. Uh, Paul, in 1 Corinthians 14, uh, he, he talks about certain sounds, and these are these kind of certain sounds. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14 and 8, For if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to the battle? There were two types of sounds. There were numerous types of trumpets. And one trumpet and sound would be for a holy convocation. The people, wherever they were, would run to the tabernacle. It was a sacred holy time. It was a, it was a time of seeking God for whatever reason. And then there would be another sound, and that was a sound of war. Come with your, your, your spear. Come with your swords. Come with your shield. Come with your slingshots. Come with these things. We're, we're getting ready to engage in war. So... Paul talks about if there's an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to the battle? You've got to know the sound. And, you know, we're witnessing a plethora of sounds of war. And, and Donald Trump has kept his word. You're not going to know when I'm going to do it. You're not going to know when I'm going to do it or the way I'm going to do it. I'm just going to do it. Now, where does a flotilla going toward uh, the, the Japanese Sea, I believe it is, and so we don't know. Uh, but I was thinking also this week, as I, as I watch all of these things taking place, and what struck me was the 25th chapter of the book of Matthew. Jesus there talks about the sheep and the goat nations. And he says, he will gather together all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And, of course, he says he puts the sheep on the right hand, the goats on the left hand. 
And then he goes into this litany of, you know, I was hungry, you fed me, thirsty, you gave me drink, naked, you clothed me, in prison, you visited me. They said, Lord, when, when did we do this to you? He said, when you did it to least one of these, you did it unto me. And then it says in verse 46 there in chapter 25, And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. So we're going to see whole nations. And I was listening to the brother talk about how people were converting in Iran. But think about the leadership of Iran. Think about the leadership of North Korea. Think about the leadership of some of these other uh, countries, China, etc. God's going to divide the nations. And then Psalms 917 says, The wicked shall be turned into hell, and all the nations that forget God. And this is the frightening thing about America. Uh, I'm witnessing it since the election. People have become tepid. People have become indifferent. Uh, they've lost their fire, their urgency. They've lost the fervency. Uh, something has waned. And that's always been the problem with the church. Every time God gave the church a blessing uh, or blessed Israel as a nation, they would fall back into their heathen, paganistic ways. And, and I said from the get-go, this is not the time to let up. Because, you know, America, that, that's one of my only hope for America is we've always, when there's been a, hearth, or a, a earthquake or a tsunami or hurricanes or whatever the case might be, you know, we send medicine, supplies, blankets, material, uh, food, uh, they, because we've, we've did that so much that God would show us a measure of mercy uh, versus these other nations. But I, I do know that this is a time to be humble, uh, because there's going to be a third world war. I mean, if you believe the Bible, uh, too many times the emphasis is put on the man that's in the office. That really has nothing to do with it. What has everything to do with it? Is it God's time? That is the significant point. And, and I've used this verse many, many times, Galatians 4, 4, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. So when that time came, when that time came, Jesus was born. The first Passover is believed to be about 1688 B.C., around 1700 B.C. Well, that's why in the Passover, uh, when Jesus was with his disciples, he said, with desire... I have desired this Passover. Why? Well, as a child, he had attended all these Passovers from the time he was born with his mother and his dad. And so this was the Passover when he would be slain as the Passover, the Paschal Lamb. That time had come for it to be ultimately, literally, in its totality, fulfilled. When you go back and read Exodus 12, everything that Jesus did on the cross was done in Exodus chapter 12. They were to take the lamb, and they were to take that on the 10th day of the month. 10 means responsibility and testimony. We have 10 commandments, or they had 10 commandments. They would shut that lamb up until the 14th day. And then on the 14th day, they would slay that lamb uh, and shed its blood somewhere between 12 and 3 p.m. And that's exactly what happened to Jesus on the cross. And he died at about 3 p.m. So he fulfilled that in its totality, see? And, and so 
God gave this method, and they went through all of these protocols, but nobody knew when that real, I won't say real, that's a poor choice of words, I suppose, the, the fulfillment of Passover. It took place that Wednesday evening when it started with Jesus. And, of course, the heinous trial, the mocking, the spitting, the beating, etc., etc. And, of course, he rose again the third day. And that's, that's the great thing about his efficacious death. He didn't just die uh, to save us from our sins, but he arose again the third day uh, to make sure that we could be saved and might be saved, that his word would be fulfilled. And so as I'm watching the world, and, you know, we're hearing probably more saber-rattling than we've heard together over the last eight years under the Obama administration. I thought about how much Islam exploded. Well, why did it explode? Well, you had a Muslim president. You had people all throughout his administration were Islamic. You had all these people like Susan Rice were just profuse liars and, and deceitful workers and, and, and apostates and reprobates. And all of this is just, it's been seething. You know, and now we've come to this place, and the damage has been done. You know, the damage has been done, just like the wheat and the tares, Matthew 13. They asked the disciples, they said, who hath done this thing? He said, the enemy, the enemy hath done this, and he went his way. Well, you know, I don't know where Obama is, but I'll tell you one thing. He sowed more damaging seed in this nation and did more things that would hurt this nation in its totality because, you know, as an Islam or Muslim, you know, he perceives he's right and, you know, us as Christians are wrong. But we, we know that's not true. So the wheat and the tares, they're going to grow together until the end. And because it is so tenuous, Jesus rebuked the disciples. He said, dude, they were going to go out and pull them up. He said, no, no. Lest while ye gather up the tares, Ye root up also the wheat with them, but let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, those reapers are his angels, gather them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. So he, he, again, there's going to be the separation, where he separates the sheep, the goat, the wheat, the tares. You want to bundle the, 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 the tares. And they're going to be burned. Now, that's, that, that's a type of hell. And I know there are those, uh, well, I don't believe that's permanent. I believe that's just, you know, a parenthetical time. That's not true. That's, that's how heresy gets started in Christianity. But, but the Bible is clear in uh, Matthew 24, 31. And he shall send his angels with the great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. That's the same parallel there in Matthew 13 about the wheats and the tares. Because remember in Ezekiel chapter 9, the angel was given an ink horn and an ink well, and he went to Mark the redeemed. And he told him to go to the temple of God and start at my sanctuary. And he went to the temple of God, and he began to mark the people of God that were righteous, that were covered in the blood, symbolically, just like us. You know, we don't have blood on our head, but we are spiritually washed in the blood. There's a seal, a spiritual seal, uh, Ephesians 1, 13, in whom also after that ye believed ye were sealed 
with that Holy Spirit of promise. We're sealed by the Spirit of God. That's what Jesus does to us when he puts his, his stamp on us. And then, as I said, he, the writer with the inkhorn, he went and he started beside the brazen altar. Now, the reason that is so important, people, is the New Testament uh, likeness of that would be First uh, Peter four sixteen seventeen. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first began with us, what shall be the end of them that obey not the gospel of Christ? For if the righteous are scarcely saved, where shall the sinner and the ungodly appear? So God told the angel, go to the temple and stand at the altar. Because there was really only one other person that could go in the Holy of Holies. That would be the high priest. So he went there. And he began to mark people with this inkhorn. And then he said to the angels, Slay utterly old and young, both maids and little children and women, but come not near any man upon whom is the mark, and began at my sanctuary. Then they began at the ancient men which were before the house. Those would have been your, your purported spiritual leaders. He said unto them, Defile the house, and fill the courts with the slain. Go ye forth. And they went forth and slew in the city. And it came to pass while they were slaying them. Ezekiel said, I was left, and I fell upon my face and cried and said, Oh, Lord God, wilt thou destroy all the residue of Israel and the pouring out of thy fury upon Jerusalem? And he said unto me, the iniquity of the house of Israel and Judah is exceeding great, and the land is full of blood, and the city full of perverseness. For they say, The Lord hath forsaken the earth, and the Lord seeth not. And as for me also, mine eye shall not spare, neither will I have pity, for I will recompense their way upon their head. And behold, the man clothed with linen, which had the inkhorn by his side, reported the matter, saying, I have done as thou hast commanded me. And so I, I don't know, you know, when God is going to suffer that judgment in America. America is a very wicked, sinful nation. We have done good. Most, most American people, for the most part, try to do good, but our leadership is so corrupt. It, it's so irreparable. It, it, I don't believe it can ever be fixed. Uh, I don't. I don't believe it can be fixed anymore. I believe it, it's gone. And so we've we've got to be like Ezekiel and make sure that we're covered. And, and it's it's ironic. The devil wants to put a mark on the people that are not of God to damn them. And God says, I want you to put a mark on my people so I can save them. See, that's a spiritual mark. And I'm not going to get into the mark of the beast tonight and all the mark, name, or number. But the point is, at the end of the day, it is a spiritual application, and you must be washed in his blood. I've never been physically washed in the blood of Jesus, but I have been washed in his shed blood through the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God. He's applied that, that uh, blood to my heart, just like those Israelites. They put the blood on the doorpost. Therefore, he said, when I see the blood, I'll pass over you, uh, because that blood is, is atonement. Uh, Leviticus 1711, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your soul, for it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. 
Simply put, there's nothing in the world that could atone for sin but the blood of Jesus Christ. So when he says in Leviticus 17, the life of the flesh is in the blood. Blood is an amazing fluid. You know, if one of us needed a blood transfusion and we happen to have the same blood, I could give Joe life, I could give you life, Doug, or vice versa. The life of the flesh is in the blood. But he said, I've given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. Because the, the soul is stained with sin. We can't see it. We see the results of it, all the, 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 the carnage, the rape, the murder, the incest, the sodomy, the homosexuality. We witness this stuff every day. And then you got these little panty waist preachers who, God forbid, use a, a, a word in the pulpit that addresses sin. Folks, that's why the blood was shed, to take away sin. Take away sin. They don't want to talk about it. You know, most churches won't even sing a hymn or a song about the blood of Jesus Christ. They're ashamed of it. Because, I, I, was, I was telling a gentleman the other day, the blood of Jesus Christ brings Holy Ghost conviction on us. It brings conviction because there's life in that blood. And without that blood being applied, all men will die without God. But Jesus made a way. There was an old song years ago said, Where the blood fell, love grew. When that blood was being pumped out of his heart, when they pierced the pericardium sac, the, the fluid around his heart, and the Bible said, Forthwith came blood and water. That was the remaining element of life in his body. And when he, they pierced his side with that spear, and the blood and the water oozed out, that was the end of his life. And that blood ran all the way down the cross and down to the earth. You know, and you've probably heard me say this, and I say it often because I don't like to hear what I hear. People say, oh, the blood of Jesus was spilled. No, sir. When you spill something, that's an accident. I've had four children. And you get four kids and go to a restaurant, see how many times they knock over drinks and water, you name it, it happens. That's an accident. But the Bible said his blood was shed. When you shed blood, that's intentional. Just like Cain shed Abel's blood, he killed him. Jesus' blood was not spilled. Jesus' blood was shed. And, and that's what the Bible says in Hebrews 9.22, without shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness or no remission of sin. It, it had to be that way. And the, the only reason... It works is because in his blood there was no sin. It atoned perfectly. It was the, the, the it was the, the the personification of the uh, atonement, and you know that's what Israel has every fall. Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement. That's what Yom Kippur means, Day of Atonement. And uh, they would they afflict their souls and they search their hearts and they cry out to God uh, and and do repentance asking that God would forgive them of their sins. Of course, they still don't believe in what he did at the cross. It's a formality. Uh, they're still waiting for the Messiah. But we know beyond any shadow of a doubt that he did atone for our sins. And that's why, to me, uh, communion is such a blessing, such a sacred sacrament that God allows us to partake of. And, and furthermore, no other religion offers us anything of that nature. Joe, I'm going to give it back to you. I know we're getting close to the, to the break. And, and Pastor, yeah, yeah I was, uh, looking forward to the, the communion when I heard about the communion tonight, uh, cause it's been a while since we've done that. 
um, especially on air. And we we're um, we're, we're not going to have the break yeah, uh, this hour, so we can just continue to move forward. Um, we want to keep the message, Pastor, and, and your uh, your sermon intact. So let's just continue. Okay, I, I appreciate that. I'm very humbled by that. That you would, uh, uh, you know, it always humbles me when when people give God the honor that He alone is so worthy of. You know, the sin, the iniquity that He He took on Him. He took that on him because of my sins. And I, I, I was an ugly, ugly, heinous sinner. And had I been God, I'd have wrote David Lankford off a, a long time ago and said, you're not worth saving. You're not fit to be saved. You have done so many sinful and so many vile and so many wicked things. You're not worthy. You're not worthy of my shed blood. But you know, that's what makes communion so powerful. That Christ allows us to partake of the the tearing, the renting. Isaiah 53, 12 says, Because he hath poured out his soul unto death, he was numbered with the transgressors. He bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. On that cross, as they were cursing and spitting and blaspheming him, he had so much love for us. He said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. They don't know what's going on. And you know, when he, he gave up the ghost and the earth, the sun, it went dark. A solar eclipse took place. That one Roman soldier said, surely this man was the Son of God. Something, something so divine that I, I don't have the words, I, I don't have the vocabulary, I don't have the ability to explain what was taking place. I, I just know that it's been applied to my heart. I just know that I have been forgiven. There's not a day that I don't get on my knees and I thank God. I thank God for His blood. There's no other way. There is no other way. Even the Lutheran Church to this day, they still paint their front church doors red, symbolic of the blood of Jesus Christ, that the blood, the blood is the only way. And and and, and regretfully, regretfully, our, our churches, our spiritual leaders, they have all turned from preaching Calvary, preaching the blood, preaching his suffering, what he suffered, what he endured. There was no man that could endure Isaiah fifty two fourteen said his visage, his visage was so marred more than any other man. It's believed his his eyes swole shut, his lips turned wrong side out. And then when they took that heinous crown of thorns, and it's believed that the man that wove and plaited that crown of thorns had to wear special gloves, lest he pricked his own hands, and then took that crown of thorns and went over there and pressed it down as hard as he could into the scalp and the skull of Jesus Christ and the flesh. I'd see in my mind's eye, I see the flesh as it's pulled away from his skull. Those thorns about an inch and a half long there, they're just pulling the flesh away. And what does he do? Nothing. He's led to the slaughter like a lamb 
dumb before his shearers, and he opens not his mouth. You know, when I see how people degrade Christ, mock Christ, you know, things like God is queer, God is gay, God is an adulterer, when I hear these things, these people have no idea. But those words, those things they have said, they will hear in the corridors of hell for all eternity, those, those blasphemous things that they said against Jesus. I, I, th- I don't think any man understands the punishment. And I know people say, oh, God, don't punish. You don't know God. The Bible says plainly in the 12th chapter of the uh, uh, book of Hebrews, if you despise chastisement, Paul said, you're no longer sons, but you're bastards. That means you don't have a, a heavenly father. You, in other words, you've, you've not been redeemed through his son, the blood that was shed. I, I want to I share that tonight. Hebrews 12 and 7. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth you as with sons. For what son is whom the father chasteneth not? I had two sons. I had to take a belt and whip them many times. But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? In other words, Paul is saying the Father is the, the, the father of all spirits, every man, every woman, every boy, every girl. He's the father of it. That's why in Romans 8, we cry, Abba, Father, because we have received the spirit of adoption, an adopted child that takes on the name of the father that adopted him, has the same privileges of a child that was born in, in a natural birth through his, his wife. Romans eight fifteen. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. In other words, you don't have to worry and live in fear and go back into bondage again. That child that's adopted, when that father gives that child his last name, if I adopted a child and named him uh, Mark Langford, he doesn't have to live in fear of bondage being lost, but he's received the spirit of adoption because I gave him my name. And Paul said, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Then he said in verse 16, the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. I don't have to have nobody to tell me I'm a Christian. I know about the spirit of adoption. I have been brought in through Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, And back to Hebrews 12 and 9. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh, which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily, for a few days, chastened us after their own pleasure, or as they saw fit. Sometimes God sees it fit to let us go into a period of chastisement. But he, for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. 
nevertheless. Afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them that what are, are, which are exercised thereby. In other words, Doug, there were times you had to discipline Job, and it was grievous, and at the present time, it did not seem joyous. But afterward, after the correction, it yielded the peaceable fruit of righteousness. I'd rather God chasten me all the time and, and, and allow my life to be a life of perpetual suffering so that in the end, I make it. I've told people many a time, if you've got to put a saddle on the altar at your church, put a saddle on that altar and ride that altar till you die or Jesus comes back. Don't you ever quit. Don't you ever give up. And, and, and sometimes God has to chasten us and has to discipline us because we, we are getting away from him. We're drifting. We're, we're departing from the faith. And when a, a natural father sees his own son, I, I've said it, Doug, you said it. Boy, you better stop doing that. You, you better not do that. We give warnings. Why? Because we love, because we don't want to have to mete out that punishment. And to think, we ought to be the ones that receive all the punishment. But Jesus took all of the punishment for us. You know, it, it, it's like a heavyweight boxer that's married. You know, he goes in there and he fights 12 or 15 rounds and he wins that heavyweight title. His body's beaten, his eyes are black and blue. He's wearing his sunglasses after the, 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 the fight at the conference, the meeting. But when he goes home, he brings that title belt in. And his wife says, look what we have. She didn't get in the ring. She didn't fight. But she got all the blessings. All she shared, she partook in the, the title. She partook of the, the, the belt. She partook of the revenue. She partook of that. And that's what Jesus did for us. He went through all of that, you know, and died a heinous death. And we all we have to be are recipients of what he did. And, and, and I would be remiss, I, I would be derelict if I told you tonight, it's easy. If it's easy, everybody would be a Christian. And I, I hear more and more and more people say, oh, I'm a Christian. But then 10 minutes later, GDSOB out of their mouth. That's not the fruit of Christ's spirit. We need correction in our hearts. We need correction in our lives. And whatever that correction might be, it'll be different for all of us. Because no two Christians are spiritually at the same level of spiritual maturity. Not, not, not two of us all over the world. No two of us are at the same depth and breadth spiritually. God deals with all of us different. I've, I've had four children. I, I never could deal with all of them the same way. They're different ages. They have different personalities. They have different minds. Uh, some might be sharper here and not so sharp over here, but you have to deal with that because you love them. And that's what Jesus did to us. And uh, I, I want to go and read from Paul's epistle in 1 Corinthians. And as we get ready to take communion, I want to go back to the, the 26th chapter of the book of Matthew because that, to me, has always been one of the most simplistic moments in his life when he gave them communion of his body. Paul, of course, was not there that night. But what Paul received, of course, was divine revelation. And God showed him all of this. And so Paul is sharing with the church at Corinth 
the same as the disciples were, or were partakers of what he did when he was there with them at the Last Supper. That, that's why, to me, this is so important. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning at verse 23, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. Now, I want you to think about that. He gave thanks knowing what he's about to enter into and said, take eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also, he took the cup when he had supped, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. That's why we call this the New Testament. It's the new covenant. The old has done away, and the new has come in. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Every time we do this, it's a, rem it's a reminder, a remembrance to us of what Jesus did. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily, shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself. In other words, we have to look into our hearts and honestly say, where do I stand with God? If there's something in my heart, Lord, I want to get it under the blood before I partake of your blood and of your body. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation or judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. This, this is, uh, I've never had so much trouble getting a book printed all of my life, but this is why I'm adamant that the church is not the bride of Christ, the church is the body of Christ, because we are discerning the Lord's body. We're not discerning a bride, we're discerning his body, what his body went through. And then Paul told them, for this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep, many died. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. That's as plain as it can be. God's going to judge the world, and the world is going to be damned, condemned, but the righteous are not going to be condemned. The righteous are going to be redeemed. Wherefore, my brethren, when ye come together to eat, tarry one for another. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home, that ye come not together unto condemnation, and the rest will I set in order when I come. In other words, communion is not a time to come and, and have a homecoming or fried chicken dinner. Uh, Paul's trying to make sure the church understands the, the orderliness of what we are about to do, what we are about to partake of. It's the Lord's body. And it's, it's so sacred, it is so holy. And uh, I, I want to say, Doug and Joe, thank you again for allowing us to proceed. I know you didn't have to do that, but I, I thank God for your sincerity and sensitivity to the Holy Ghost, because it is important. This is a sacred time. You may not feel like it's a sacred time, but I'll tell you, it humbles me. When I, when I get ready to receive my Lord's body, 
and the shedding of his blood. Because I know better than anybody, I know how lost I was. But Jesus went out like he left the 90 and 9 and went and found the lost sheep because he loves us. He mentioned, I'm going to pray tonight, and I want everyone to pray with me. And I want you to search your heart and just be honest with God. You, you know, you can't hide anything from God. People try to hide things from God. They try to conceal it. They, they try to cover it up their own way. Adam sowed fig leaves. Everybody tries to cover their sin. David had Uriah killed and, uh, and, and had him murdered, told, put him to the front of the enemy line and told Joe, Joe, uh, Joab to, to pull back, let him, let him get in the heat of the battle and get killed. He was trying to cover his sin, but it wouldn't work. So I want us to pray tonight, every one of us, and I'm going to ask you to, to search your heart and ask God if there's anything in your heart tonight to cleanse you of that, because this is his body, this is his blood, this is, a, this is all symbolic, don't get me wrong. I don't believe in transubstantiation, I believe it is totally symbolic, but I believe it is so powerful that if we take it, just like we take his word, his word is written on paper with ink, but it is living, it is alive, it touches us, it delivers us, it ministers to us. And so this tonight will touch us. And I believe in my spirit, some of you that may be sick in your body, that taking communion can bring healing because he becomes into your spirit. As I said, it's a spiritual application and your body can be healed and your body can be made whole because by his stripes, Isaiah said, Isaiah 53, 5, by his stripes we are healed. And I believe if you need a healing in your body tonight and you've tried everything like the woman that had the issue of blood and you just can't seem to find a remedy, I promise you tonight the remedy is in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Heavenly Father, we are so humbled that you would allow every viewer, every listener tonight to partake of this communion program and service, Lord. This was the week as we know it. When you gave your life, and you gave it that we might have life, and that we might have it more abundantly. How you gathered your disciples together in that room, and you took the bread and you broke it, and you took the wine and you gave them drink and told them to eat it and drink all of this for it is your body and this was your blood and it was for the remission the forgiveness of sin father i thank you tonight that you loved us so much that you gave us your son you loved us so much you gave your greatest gift your only begotten son through all the millions of animals and the blood that was shed, it never did atone for man's sins. But when Jesus came and his blood was shed, it cleanses and washes and redeems us and forgives us of all of our iniquities. Father, I pray for those who are listening around the world. I pray for those who will get up in the morning and they will turn on through an e-file or however they receive this program, Lord, and they sit and they partake with us. I pray the same Holy Ghost. I pray the same divine presence of God. I pray the same anointing of your Holy Spirit, Lord God, would pervade and would touch their lives, O oh God. 
and they would sense your holy presence, Lord. They would know without a doubt, like the brother before me, there will be a divine visitation. There will be a divine encounter with you, Lord, through the Spirit of the living God, because you rose again. You are a living Savior, not somewhere in a tomb with dead men's bones, but you arose on that third day, and you took the keys of death and of hell, and you walked out, and now you have all power in heaven and in earth. I pray for those who are sick and weak and anemic in their bodies. I pray for every home. I pray for every family. Lord, I pray for every marriage. Those marriages right now where there seems to be a a grievous point of contention, a point of strife, Lord, break that yoke. Break that bondage in Jesus' name and bring healing, Lord, because you ordained marriage. You said what you put together, let not a man put it asunder. Help us to not try to live under human reasoning, but under the lordship and the deity of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Touch us, Lord. Touch every man, every woman. Touch them on their jobs, where they work, where they drive to and fro, Lord. I pray the angels of God to protect them, Lord. And I plead the blood of Jesus tonight upon our nation, and upon our president, Lord. You told us to pray for those that are in authority. I don't know any man's heart, but you know everyone's heart, Lord. And I just pray for him, Lord. Give him wisdom. Give him knowledge. Watch over us, Lord, as a hen broods over her chicks. Lord, brood over us. Keep us and protect us, Father. And may goodness and mercy follow us all the days of our life, Lord. And we'll give you praise for it all. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to read from Matthew 26 and begin at verse 26. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body. You may now partake of your bread. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, the New Covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you and my Father's kingdom. You may now drink your juice. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this holy communion, this time of such divine intimacy that mere men and women can have the greatest and most intimate fellowship with you, Lord. Thank you for making a way. Thank you for being the way. Thank you for being the truth that all men can know, no matter whether they be Islamic or Hindus or whatever the case might be. Lord, thank you 
that in your word, you show us the way, the plan of salvation, the way of redemption, that no matter who men are, what they might be, or what they may or may not know, there is a way, and the way is through your blood that was shed at Calvary. Again, I pray for the Hagmans. I pray for their ministry. I pray for everything that they do relative to production, every staff person, John, J.D., Lord, Todd, I, I pray for all those. Eric, I, I pray that your hand of grace, Renee, Laura, I just pray the hand of grace would be over them, Lord. We need you, Lord. Lord, we need you. We would be fools to think we can do this without you. We would be fools to believe we could walk this walk without your touch. Lord, as the psalmist said, you, you lead us into green pastures, and you lead us beside still waters, and you restore our souls. Lord, I want to thank you tonight for restoring people. I want to thank you for those you touched tonight. Lord, there were those who were on the precipice of saying, I quit. I can't take anymore. I can't stand it anymore. I can't endure it anymore. But your presence, your presence was made manifest and touched them and lifted them above the shadows, lifted them above the adversity, lifted them above the confusion, Lord. Give them clarity of mind. Remove the fog that the drugs has created, or let them see clearly and know that you are real, that your word is real, that the presence and the power of God is eternal. Now I ask you, Father, to go with us. I ask you, Lord, to watch over this nation in the coming days. And Lord, I just ask for grace and mercy. I know we're not worthy as a nation to ask for that. But you told us in your word, if your people, which are called by your name, would humble themselves and pray and seek your face and turn from our wicked ways, you would hear from heaven, you would forgive our sin, you would heal our land. I pray, Lord, you'll use this program, this platform, to bring revival in America. I don't know how, but Father God, you can start a revival in the midst of anything, circumstances, situations, wherever, Lord, start a revival and let it begin with each of us personally, Lord. Let each of us have a greater hunger and a greater thirst, for you said in Matthew six thirty three, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you, Lord. Help us to have you first in our thoughts, first in our plans, first in our will, Lord. For you said you'd bless those who hunger, and you'd bless those who thirst for righteousness, Father. We ask it tonight in the name of your Son, Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. 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 Wow. What a very powerful, powerful message. Well, I thank you for your sensitivity and not breaking the show. I, I, I know some people don't understand the continuity of the Spirit, but I appreciate your sensitivity, both of you tonight, and willingness to go on, because, you know, everyone needs to be touched, and human touch can only relieve so much pain. It, it, it can only mitigate so much. It can only lessen so much. But His divine touch can lessen it all and take it away and revive every one of us. Amen? Amen. And, Praise and, the Lord. Uh, uh, I feel better. Absolutely. Oh, yes. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Well, not amazing. It's it's uh, 
ordained. Uh, Absolutely. Wow. Absolutely. You know, I tell people this, your circumstances may not have changed. Your problems may not have changed. Even maybe the anomaly in your body may not have changed. But being in God's presence changes our minds, our hearts, and our attitudes. And when we walk away from his presence, somehow, some way, he helps us to see it just a little bit differently. You know, my, my wife had gone to the beach with her sisters last week. And she came home and she said, David, I feel like I need to fast and pray three days. I don't know why. And she got a phone call today. Her mother now has dementia. And mm. she's going to spend time with her. And, you know, none of us know what other people are going through. And, uh, you know, that's why we, we want to be spiritual and be as spiritual as we can. Because we never know what somebody's having to bear. You know, and, and that's where selfishness comes in and self-servantness comes in. And we're not tender-hearted and thinking about others and about what we're doing, how what we do affects other people's lives. Other people say, well, well my, my sin doesn't affect anybody. Don't ever say that. Everyone's sin affects somebody besides yourself. And we need to be conscious and cognizant of that. Again, gentlemen, thank you so much for allowing me to, to share uh, this tonight well, with the audience. Thank you. Pastor, we, we we so appreciate you and and your presence and and your uh, your work and your words and thank you and um, thank you. I just until next week. God bless. Okay. Thank you. All right. Be blessed and remember, we don't celebrate Easter Sunday. We're celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. God That's bless right. you all. You have a wonderful week. Well, right. Joe and Doug and everyone listening tonight. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Pastor, thanks. Pastor David Langford for the voice of evangelism.com. Uh, what a, what a precious man and what a man of, uh, just what a godly man. We, uh, we only have a minute or two left. We got an email question for Pastor, uh, from Debbie. And I apologize we didn't have time to ask the pastor this, but she asked, why is it that God will supernaturally intervene in one person's life and they become saved and others he does not? Debbie. Hmm. That's a good question. Um, we'll pass that along to Pastor when, uh, because once a month he does take questions. We'll pass that along to Pastor Langford. Yeah, I'll forward it to him yeah. now and I'll flag it. So um, on the last Wednesday of every month when he comes on is our question and answer period with, with right. Pastor Langford. And we spend the first 30 minutes going over email questions that he has received. And then we do phone calls for the, the second segment with Pastor Langford. So we'll make sure that we we pass this along to him and uh, and he gets it because it is a good question and I mean we don't have time to get into it right now but I think uh, you know to say that God doesn't supernaturally intervene in people's lives I think it's a matter of us being able to recognize it versus right. it not happening. It's a good way of putting it, Joe, and I appreciate that. That you know, uh, folks, uh, just to recap again. Um, uh, either late tonight or first thing in the morning, watch for the interview with Kevin Shipp, former CIA officer, um, about the news and about the uh, stuff that's going on geopolitically and also within the Trump administration. I do believe it's important. Uh, spread, it, spread it with your friends as well. Spread this program tonight with your friends. Um, please subscribe to our YouTube channel as well as um, tell others about the program. And thank you. Uh, you know that 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 last hour with Pastor Langford, 
you know something's coming down, right? Everyone knows something uh, something bad is something very ugly is about to happen. And and we can only do so much in the physical, but we can do much more in the spiritual. So, but but that yeah. doesn't absolve us from our responsibilities in the physical. No, that's right. And uh, you know, seeing all the the news and the the warmongering. Um, one interesting thing uh, from this, and folks, go to HagmanReport.com for the latest on what's going on. Um, mm. The uh, China, China's role, they seem to be getting much more involved. Uh, China, China scrambled 25,000 extra troops to North Korea, put their own country on nationwide alert for a potential military conflict, and these troops are on the uh, China-North Korean border. And I'm wondering if somebody acts, if it won't be China instead of the U.S. Um, Watch Central America as well. It should be interesting. uh, Yeah. At the very least, I think we're looking at a uh, North Korean nuclear test within the next uh, 24 to 48 hours. I think the Teletubbies, uh, (laughs) Teletubby Chia Pet's grandfather's birthday is on the 15th. That might be in celebration of that. Yep. All right. Well, that will do it for us tonight. Until tomorrow, stay safe, God bless, and have a great evening. Good night.